Music is my life. When I'm not writing it, I'm performing for my audience. That's why I love my BlackBerry from GTA Teleguam. Wherever I am, I can check my schedule for gigs, coordinate rehearsals, and even find time to messenger chat online with friends during breaks. I'm Patrick Palomo. I make a living using these keys, and I manage my life using these keys. Welcome, Pat. It's been a while. I know. Happy to be here, Cos. Yeah, you had a you had many birthdays, and I've had many birthdays. <laughs> I the, had many more than you <laughs> since the last time we've we've kind of hung out. But uh, and I know you're not a drinker, but we have to celebrate just with a little yes. little bit. Okay. No, I'll take exception. Yeah. And uh, you're one of those yeah. very few people that I would just have a drink with. So. And and I'll explain why. I'll explain why. There's always an explanation. So this one, this bottle here, is a very special bottle because I received it this year for my 50th birthday. Whoa. So as you can see, I'm a good, I'm a drinker, but I haven't drank much of this. I only share this with very, very good friends. You know, just put very little for me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And you can sip that through the, uh, through the show. Okay. Yeah, sure. just sip it. And actually, it's nice. It's a. I love your Jack Daniels glass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the reason I'm pouring this for you is celebrating our um, my 50th birthday this year. Um, you celebrated what year this year? I celebrated my 65th birthday. 65th. So see, these are big centennial uh, memorial years. Yes. But what we're also celebrating this year is 15 years of knowing each other. Hooray! Can you imagine? It's been wow, it's 15 been long, years. Man. Yeah. I met you in 2005. I did, you know, I had to go back to the uh, archives to say, man, I've known him a long time, but when did I meet him? Brutus was born 2005. Look at your T-shirt. That's right. It yeah. says right there, Brutus. And, and, you know, you and I met through the house of Brutus. So, yes. 2005. Cheers, my friend. Cheers, Carlos. So what we're drinking here, I usually say, ask my guests, I say, well, what are you drinking today? That's nice, right? It's, it's like drinking a, it's like drinking a, a little bit of a warm bourbon here. But this is a whiskey from Japan, and it's a Komogatake whiskey. And it's made from the Mars Shinshu Distillery, and it's, it's a 48% alcohol. So you drink enough of this... You're going to be... Uh, no, I would just sip it. You're going to be putting your pianos on fire. 
<laughs> All right. So, hey, uh, like I said, welcome to the show. I know this isn't your first podcast. You've done one with uh, uh, another another podcast show called Blue Adder. That's Blue Adder, uh, right? Tony Adder's son. Right. And I think I think that's called Master Random. Right? Yes. All right. And I I wanted to listen to that before we did ours. Did you check it out? I did. I did. I, I listened to it the other day because I wanted to make sure that whatever we do wasn't going to be similar to what yeah. happened there. You know, I barely remembered that. And, you know, yeah. we were just talking freely that yeah. way. So you probably heard something say, oh, I'll have to say all this. <laughs> That's 2019. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't that long ago then. No, no. It's just, uh, you know, when you smoke the weed, you know, you start to forget. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always like to just, sometimes I don't like to count yeah. years or think of time because, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes when I think of years or time, it, it kind of like gets in the way of where I really want to be at. Right. I just want to be in the moment and I want to be relevant. Yeah. Well, I think that's a that's a great way to live life, Pat. I'm I'm very. I think this is why our souls are really good because we we actually live in the moment, right? Yeah. We do, we do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing half half the crazy shit that I do, <laughs> honestly, right? Um, so you know, our, see what, fifth, 2005. I'll give you a good example. 2005 opened up House of Brutus, um, and everything was by the seat of my pants when I did that. You know. People who know me, they know I'm a planner. I, I think things through. And that's true. I did. I did think things through. But I had never opened a restaurant before. I've never opened a bar before. I've never, you know, had to um, think of those types of businesses. I've had businesses prior to that. But I visited Chicago uh, for business. And I was just enamored by all these sort of jazz bars, you know, in joints. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Um, and I didn't know anything about jazz, particularly other than what, you know, casual listener, right? Uh, I was a big fan of the big band, you know, era. I was a big fan of Frank Sinatra and that that group of musicians. But, you know, that's not really jazz and that's not really, it's, it's sort of the mythology of it, right? The sexiness of yes. that era of music. You know, you've got the suits and the... Fedora hats and and um, you know the late night whiskey drinking and the cigar and the women and the and so it fascinated me going to Chicago and looking at this and going man I don't think there's one in Guam so I got back I got back home and I looked around I said where where would I do it and I knew friends who were doing bars there it was Kasanami um, Conrad and was doing that mm -hmm. and he, they had a band every night and it was a great place. But it didn't really focus on jazz. I know that Renaissance was there doing a, a very complicated, you know, mix of music. Yes. I mean, they were all over the place. Which the is most jazz they, those guys would be doing was like Steely Dan. Yeah, something like that. And then, but they were all over the place and that was great. But I'm talking like three sets of it, right? Um, and so I, I went out and looked and... I found you at Mac and Marty's. Yes, I remember that. Right? I said, oh, there is somebody that plays jazz. Okay. And so I started asking around and they go, that's it. Pat's Pat's the guy. That's the guy you go to. And I go, okay, great. And um, I put that on my notes. And like six, seven months later, after I was ready to open, um, I asked 
Ruben, who was our general manager, I said, Ruben, how do I find Patrick Palomo? And he goes, well, let me find out. And he goes, okay, I, I, I spoke to Uncle Pat, and um, he says uh, he is very um, honored to be asked, but he's got a gig right now already at Mac and Marty's on Fridays. So, you know, he can't do it. And I, you know, me, I don't take no for an answer. So I said, let me have his phone number. And so I called you up. I said, hi, is this Patrick, Patrick Palomo? And you said, yes, this is Patrick. I said, hi, Pat. Um, I own House Brutus. We want to open up a music night with jazz because this is a jazz place. I mean, this is the reason I opened up House of Brutus, to have jazz in it. So I can't open it up without jazz. And I remember what you told me. You go, and I don't know if you remember everything that we discussed that on that phone call, but I remember it because it set in motion everything. And you said, and you were very polite, and you said, I would love to do it. I'm so honored. It's so exciting. But I already have an obligation at Mac and Marty's on Friday. Any other night, I can do it. I said, well, I really want to do this Friday night show. It's called Late Night with Patrick Palomo, and I want to do it on Friday, not Saturday, not Sunday, not Wednesday. Not, it has to be Friday because after a long week of working for the adults, they want to go somewhere, chill, relax, listen to a performer, not background music in a restaurant or in a bar, but a performance. And I want you to have, it's your show, just you, but you bring in people that you think should be there that night, kind of like a late night uh, talk show host, right? But instead yes. of talking, it's music. And you said, uh, well, I love that concept. I'd love to do it, but I have a gig now. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, when is your contract end? And you told me, honestly, you said, I'm not sure, you know, they're, uh, I'm not sure they're gonna renew, it doesn't look good, you know? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, if it takes two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, however long it takes, we'll wait. We're not going to do it without you. And uh, we hung up and I looked at Ruben, I said, I don't know, we may not be able to do this for a while. He goes, well, why don't we just put another musician in until he's ready? I said, well, you, you know, this is our debut show. We're coming out of the, you know, we're coming out and introducing ourselves to the world. It has to be with the best. And, uh, and I like, was it a week later? You see, call me, he goes, I think I could play for you. We just got fired. <laughs> but it was, to be honest with you, ever since that initial conversation we were talking, I yeah. really did. Yeah, I loved already. You know, I already loved what you were talking about, and I said, "Man, this is always, it's always cool." As a you know, because I've yeah. I've been gigging for so many you know long already, even before that, even before Conrad was a Kasunami at Trades Jazz Club. That's right. Yeah, and then it was kind of like I was like there almost every night, maybe six nights a week, yeah. but with a different person right. each mm -hmm. night and. And so out. the way you were talking about it was a format that I was saying, man, that is, you know, it's not too often that a, a musician or an artist is going to get this opportunity right. to have that, you know, that kind of uh, environment where they could mm -hmm. play and do the stuff they want to do musically and just still be creative and, you know, all those things. But I always have this thing that regardless of how, somebody might be giving even a negative vibe from, let's say, the place where you're playing at, you know? Right. Because I remember around the time you got a hold of me, there was always a complaint about this or that. Right. 
And a lot of it didn't really make sense to me. Yeah. So I said to me myself, you know, I think this is starting to show already that there's probably going to be have to be a different, right? You know, way I could go and and find a gig and still have that creative, you know, vibe with musicians that want to play and you know. Well, I I know for a fact that like back then, you know, the owners would dictate to musicians like you should play more of these songs because that that's what people like to hear or whatever it is, or, you know, talk more about the drink specials or, you know, just to make the sponsors happy. And uh, I, I had one rule at, uh, at Brutus, which then sort of was the umbrella rule, you know, the umbrella for everything else was, you know, I would tell you, Pat, or uh, Miko and Stevie later on, um, Mike Hardler and, you know, service entrance and uh, Logan Rages, I'd say, look, um, especially when the crowd wasn't, quite building yet <clears throat> and they get concerned they go do you want us to change anything do you want us to do something else i said no if people aren't here that's my fault i haven't told people to come here i haven't reached out to enough people i haven't advertised enough i haven't made a reason compelling reason for people to come if they come and they leave then that's your fault <laughs> you know you've got to entertain them you gotta you got to keep them here in their seats because they don't want to leave, right? They want, you know, it's two o'clock and they still want another round. It's two o'clock, they want another set. And the musicians themselves, I was like, you know, they, they're not counting down to the last music. They, they, they enjoy the vibe and they, they feed off of that thing. I said, that's the energy we're trying to create here. So I don't want you to talk about drink specials. I don't want you to talk about um, uh, or do any kind of songs that are popular on the radio. Um, just create the uh, connection with the audience. And I remember saying that to you and everybody else that ever played for us. And um, and that's why we were able to sustain the same acts. You know, some people dropped off because um, they either moved or they quit the band or uh, whatever, right? They stopped playing. Uh, but 11 years, Pat, almost 11, 12 years. Wow, yeah. You, you had know, a home there. Yes, and, and you know, the thing I liked about it is that you always, you had that concept where like it started out with Fridays, I would have different yeah. guest artists. Right. And at that time, you know, I knew enough musicians that whenever we played together, it would always be sort of jazzy, but then the freedom of expression is there. So it would just be a different thing, you know, yeah. the creativity element was always there. Yeah. I had guests. I remember you reminded me Dave Duenas <laughs> yeah. was our first guest. And, you know, I've always been enamored by his musicianship since I first met him. And he was this accomplished classical player. Right. So we hooked up. And then whenever he would come to Guam to visit, he's now living here. In fact, he's my boss over in Mount Carmel. He's the school principal. Now. Is that right? And he still teaches uh, uh, middle school music. Yeah. But it's just funny how that worked. And then I remember having the likes of Cindy and Andy and Jesse and right. Ruby, in, in fact, one night, I yeah. think, right? Yeah, no, we had those guys. We had different. Man, you know, that, that... It was very dynamic. Yeah, that first three months where, where like, <clears throat> we went through almost every person <clears throat> we could find. Um, and they all were, like, excited because they were doing a format that wasn't necessarily theirs, right? Like, I remember Edgar Flores came, and he yeah. was he was more into reggae and island music, and he was feeling a little... Speaking of Edgar, yeah. this melodica, I'm always going to hold on to it. I feel it has magical qualities. Yeah. 
just because of the vibe he had and when he gave it to me. Oh, he gave that to you. Yes. Oh, wow. You know, Edgar and I are school buddies. Really? Yeah, we grew up together. <laughs> uh, in fact, I, I think he follows the podcast. So when he hears that part, Pat, I think he's going to, his, his heart's oh, going to be Oh, man. This is, yeah, I use it to teach. You yeah. Know, and I got even more comfortable playing it like a horn player would play their horn. Right. So, you know, I carry it with me all the time. And Well, that's your, that's your little keyboard, you know. Yeah. That's cool. In fact, maybe we'll play a little bit of something later. Yeah, you could. You know, yeah. there's there's actually a song in my because you got you're writing a new song, right? Maybe you... me in the Holling album that's yeah. um, that I I didn't play piano. Andrew Kumatalta played his song, and then I just like did a little bit of solo and background of this melodic. Okay, well, let's do that later because that'll be yeah. true. We've never had anybody play a live instrument on this podcast. Oh, yeah, so. I could just play. Just, well, it's just going to be a melody, but I could That's just okay. Yeah, we'll do that a little bit in a bit. Um, well, yeah, I remember that first show that you had. You know, we I don't know because you guys were inside. You probably didn't see it, but the line of the parking, the line went past the Tropical Color, uh, past the post office, it went all the yeah, way around to FH, yeah, FHP. Active. People parked in the post office, right? Yes. It was wild, man. It was to the point where it was too much, and I got it got me kind of freaked out because the doors wouldn't stay closed. It got hot in there. I was like, oh man, this. I remember when we opened, smoking was allowed, so people had their yes. cigars, and it just felt so authentic. Yes. And um, I didn't know how crazy it would get, but it was it was that vibe. People yeah, were... it, yes, the vibe was great, and the fact that you had the way the way you made the place, you know, there was mm -hmm. all that wood in there. Yeah, and those different um, what do you call that? Those levels of levels, flooring. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it I miss that place. With the sound. Yeah, but I, you know, after almost over ten years, and then having small children in the in the wings, I just had to give it up for a while. You know, you had to pay time out. I couldn't be a bar owner after. Yeah. In fact, I remember one, one night, I just had Atticus, the, my youngest son, literally out of the hospital. I get out of the hospital after I make sure he's okay. And I had a band meeting with you, remember? That's right. <laughs> my goodness, cause I remember even your older kids, you know, I yeah. remember Seiji. Seiji, yeah. He was giving me this little pieces of paper of stuff he drawn. You know, I think I kept some of those. I was telling him, I go, I have to find those because I don't like to throw things away, you know. Yeah. He came up and he literally gave it to me and said, look what I was doing. Yeah, that was, was just a little boy. Well, that was the great thing that um, that we kind of lucked upon was that, uh, you know, Brutus was a restaurant, not a bar. So that meant kids could come and listen to, you know, yes. real authentic live music and dream and say, oh, I want to be a guitarist. I want to be a pianist. I want to be a drummer, you know, or if their interest was already there, this is like, oh, this is this is cool. Right. And and the parents could have their glass of wine and their kids could have a five dollar, you know, milkshake. And um, so that, I think, was a very unique thing. And, and uh, maybe I don't know. My yeah. kids are already old. Seiji, who was a, probably about six at the time, Pat. Yes, he was just a young kid. Uh, he's 21. I know. This, this I year. Did it with, yeah, I yeah. remember that, that rotary Yeah, thing. that's right. He's going to be and 21. I can't believe how much he's grown, you know. Yeah. Uh, in fact, his birthday's coming up on the 21st of this. My goodness. Uh, yeah. God, you could be a grandpa. Uh, oh, no, tell me that. <laughs> oh, tell me that. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the segue out, you know, out of Brutus. Um, you know, one thing that, you know, you're you're known for your music. You're known for... You know, in fact, some I know begrudgingly you accept the 
the terms and titles legend or godfather or this or that, right? Right? I know. It's all right. You know, I, mainly, you know, I mean, I, I use it as a way to inspire me. Yeah. And then, I mean, if people feel that way, then they kind of make sure that I keep that. But it always has to be genuine with me, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I try not to let those things get too much to me because there's always, like, especially with art, with music, you know, yeah. it's just, there's always an involvement, you know. But I, I yeah, I think, you know, I, I know that you have admirers and, and the musicians who you play with and uh, are together. Obviously, they treat you as, you know, the mentor, their, you know, grandpa, grandpa, but they also kind of give you some shit too, right? They're, yeah. they're, well, you know, because there's some of these uh, that have evolved to be really good artists. Some of these musicians we're talking about, some yeah. of them have been, were literally sneaking into House of Brutus when they weren't old enough to be there at night. Yeah, I remember some of their faces. Just to, and then uh, going, you hey. know, yeah. Crystal Paco was one of those when she was very young. That's right. Yeah, she would like find a way to go to where I'm playing. You know, just because she was into music and you know, she was yeah. a very smart, intelligent girl. So, and then even John Glaser, Shannon's husband, who I eventually found out is my nephew. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, I remember when he would come in there with some of these younger artists that were, you know, were mm -hmm. just starting to really try to get into their music and stuff. And mm -hmm. it was nice to see that they were interested in that kind of stuff. Right. And then the one thing, too, is I also, I was around some of this kind of, oh, who are these people coming by, you know? <laughs> they think they're badass because they're in the, they're going to join the UOG band or this and that. and. Uh -huh. That is something that I I would never make anyone feel embarrassed or right. just confront them and say, hey, don't talk like that, don't be like that. But honestly, I if I could do it through just playing or just through the music or by example, I would. I believe that everybody should always embrace each other. That's my yeah. whole thing. Well, I, I know that that's what you preach and you practice because I remember one night, this fellow came in, and this was your second set, and you were on a break. And uh, this guy came from the airport, uh, Holly guy, white, white guy. And I, he goes, are you the owner? I go, yeah. Uh, and I thought it was going to be like a complaint, like, oh, I didn't get my wine yet, or my bill is too high. I go, oh, how can I help you? And he's like, well, I'm just here in transit. I have like a four-hour layover. I said, oh, okay, so you want some food to go? He goes, no, 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 I heard that there's a jazz band. I go, yeah, they're on break right now. He goes, well, I play the harmonica, and I heard you could just jump on and jam. I said, well, you can, but we have to talk to the host. <laughs> Patrick Paloma was our host. And so he goes, okay, and then I, you, I think you were either on your break or something like that, because you usually um, you know, take that break to eat your salad or something. You come out, and I go, Pat, uh, this guy is uh, just flying through Guam, and he heard, and and I think we already had like 12 people already on the stage by this time, and so this guy would have made 13. So <laughs> remember that back exit door? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you had to like stand there to yes. do it. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what the kind of guy you are. You're like, yeah, the more the merrier, and then boom, and it was a great show. I remember that show so much. I enjoyed it so much, because it was just like, that to me was like the reason I opened this place, right? I was like, that's right there. I, someone take a picture, you know? <laughs> that's exactly why we opened this place. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Do you remember that night? Where, or is, I mean, there were so many nights. There were so many nights, and I'm trying to remember that night specifically because there have been a lot of musicians and even outsiders. And I remember when I would get this, people would just come and say, hey, you know, 
I'm glad we found this place. Then I get asked, yeah. why is it that you're not in GVB's website? How come they don't mention anything about right. you guys? We have to just Google Jazz and Guam. I go, go talk to them. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me. You might mention their stuff, but it's all good. I mean, yeah. you provided that place cause and it's, I'm just glad. I mean, a lot of times I'm not very, um, not very forward or aggressive about, you know, when mm-hmm. I'm always trying to be careful to not make sure I don't make anybody feel bad or uncomfortable about anything. Right. But there were just some things that I had to do to kind of get with it. Yeah. Kind of like just to step maybe into the 21st century even. I remember you were the first person that, you know, got me a sweet deal of a smartphone. Remember the Blackberry? Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't mean to jump into that, we, we but got I you totally sponsored. give you credit for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that has, man, I remember not having to pay a phone bill for several years because yeah. of that. That was wonderful. Deal. That was a great deal. And uh, you know who sponsored you was GTA. And I think it was yes. Eric Volta who actually okayed the... Yes, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually listens to our podcast. He's still a client of mine. Wow. Yeah, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. He's out in California. He's bought a telephone company. He's doing very well. He just got married. And, uh, and I think he tells me that's one of his favorite commercials still for the company where you were playing the piano. Yeah, well, that was all your concept. You send, yeah. you know, you send your people and told them how, you know, how <laughs> it should go. And then yeah. I just tried my best. Didn't we shoot that at Fishbowl or something like that? Yes, we right. did it at Fishbowl because yeah. there was a piano there. And so Wanju yeah. let us you know, yeah. go in to do that. I loved Fishbowl. That was a great place too. And then later on, I took over the space after he left uh, and opened That's Hooters right. there. Yeah. That's right. I remember. But I loved Fishbowl as a bar. It was a great bar. So, Pat, I know everybody, uh, you know, you, you can't help it, right? You're going to be asked about music. So, But let's take a little break on music. Okay. Let's go with sports. Because I don't think anybody asked you about sports. I am a sports dude. You, I know so you're sports, I. right? So let's you get... a Lakers fan? I'm a Lakers fan. I know you're a Golden State Warrior. Oh, I used to be the biggest oh. Lakers fan. But oh, you? I, after I saw the way Golden State was playing when they were having their... <laughs> yeah. Because, well, I'll tell you why. I just couldn't help it. I mean, you know, um, this was after Kobe already was, you know, yeah. going to retire. But And then I remember going to watch... The Oakland Warriors play at this at where they used to be near the BART station. Okay. What was that called? Oakland Coliseum? Oakland Coliseum, yeah, something like and that. And the time I went to go watch a game was in the 90s when I was hanging out in the States recording with Monarch Records. Right. But uh, somebody gave gave some tickets and we went to watch a game between the Utah Jazz and uh, Golden State Warriors and it was Tim Hardaway that was playing. Oh, yeah, two-step, you tip, right? Yeah. But the person who bought the tickets was a huge fan of John Stockton. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> oops. <laughs> I had to not, you know, be so partial, but I was, that time I was still a big Lakers fan. Oh, I see. So Tim Hardaway got you, get you a hook. I got to see him. Yeah. He was famous crossover and all yeah. that, and that was a pretty cool game. That Yeah, they call that the you tip, yeah. two-step, right? Yes, uh, sports, yeah, and aren't you happy this year that the Lakers? Oh, finally, man, we had like a, we had a, what is it, a 10-year drought? Yeah. I want to say, 10-year drought, and then I'm a, do you follow, um, well, you, you guys should be okay, I think uh, Clay Thompson's still injured, but Steph Curry's. It's funny, he has the same kind of injury I got, which was Achilles? a torn ACL. Oh, ACL, okay. And how, I mean, are you okay now or? I'm fine. I had this when I was in the States because I was at Stonestown in San Francisco, the YMCA. Okay. How'd you, how'd you injure it? I was playing basketball. Oh, yeah. As much as I love the sport, I'm not a good player, but I was feeling 
pretty good about being strong enough to block out those guys under the rim yeah. near me because then I could get the rebound even if they were taller than me, you know. Right. Push out, yeah. But then out. when I came down with one of that rebound, man, I, I felt this like how you would crack somebody's uh -huh. neck. Yep. And then that's when I knew something was up and it was, I tore oh, wow. the, my ACL on my right knee. When was this? This was in 90. Oh, this well was back. right after I did my Looping Sunset album, maybe in the mid 90s, okay. 94, 95. How long did it take to recoup? I mean, to know, get back to I, normal? I was so lucky. I got a really good doctor. He, at that time, he happened to be the team doctor for the USF women's basketball team. Oh. But he was also an orthopedist. Are those, mm -hmm. a, are those a, I forget, the doctors that go in and just fix the whole thing. And so lucky I had insurance, you know? Mm -hmm. And my mom was on top of all of that here in Guam and it covered, you know, almost everything. And so I, yeah. and then he put me in that um, program <clears throat> to recuperate like athletes. So I was right. going to like the health centers back there. And, so are you know, good now? Are you, it's all oh, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah, it's better than my left knee now. Well, shit, maybe you should call Clay Thompson and say, hey, go see my doctor. Oh, you know what was my trick when I came back to Guam? Somebody told me this, he said, to get, because I got my full flexibility back. Right. They said, go to the ocean or a pool and tie a big towel around your ankles and just keep moving your, your leg in all kinds of directions and the towel right. will, will be kind of the resistant the factor yeah. with the water. And you know, that really helped me out tremendously. It wasn't the uh, medical marijuana? Oh, I always <laughs> had to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about uh, football? Do you follow football, NFL? Kind of, but since the Cowboys haven't been winning, I kind of no. just started losing... I haven't been following it as as yeah. I would normally do, you know, but right. I used to be a big Cowboys fan because when I was touring with the casual, I was never interested in football before. As a as a professional yeah, sport or just? As a professional sport. Yeah. It was mostly just basketball. I like the fast moving, you know? Yeah. But then we went, when we were in Texas and this was like in the, maybe the late seventies. Okay. Uh, we were playing at a place called the Red Baron at the Red Baron Hotel, the name of the club was called the Jabberwocky. And from the 12th floor, you could see at that time it was Texas Stadium. I okay. Think, right? Yeah. In Irving, a, Texas, if I'm so, not mistaken. So the Cowboys were playing there. Yes. And everything was about the Cowboys. And then even the friends I made, they were all cops. So since then, I was always a Cowboys fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they. In, if I you're talking 70s, yeah, they were, they, oh, were yeah. they were the team of, you know, they call it America's team, right? So, yes. yeah. I'm a I'm a Raiders fan, so we're hoping. Oh, I like the Raiders yeah. too. We're hoping for. Uh, <laughs> we're not looking so good uh, last game, but we 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 have a promising year. Um, how about baseball? Do you follow baseball? Yes, I kind of. I I really like the Dodgers. I was very happy. Oh my God! I I was virtually in, in tears when they won this year. I was like, 33 oh, years I've been waiting for this. Oh yeah, oh, so you're also a Dodgers fan. Yeah, yeah. You know how I got into baseball being a Dodgers fan? Because most people in Hawaii are Dodgers fans. There's bars mm -hmm. or restaurants I would go eat and there's all these like Dodgers memorabilia all over the yeah. walls, you know? Dodgers dog, right? Yeah. The Dodgers hot. Have you ever watched a live game? Yes, I did in San Francisco. Oh, I watched okay. the, Giants the Giants play the Dodgers. Oh, I yeah. actually sat in the, the area where Barry Bonds was at. Oh, nice. Uh, that's a big rivalry, you know. Yes, I remember. Yeah, they're both, they were both the Giants and the Dodgers were from New York yes. uh, prior, and then they moved to California. So, you know, being yeah. in San Francisco, then I always had to, like, outwardly root, root for, you know, <laughs> the Niners around my friends that were already drunk <laughs> and everything. 
Yeah. But deep down inside, it was just that feeling for the dog. <laughs> it, it kind of, it's kind of that same feeling as when I transferred to JFK from FD. Yeah. My heart was always still with FD because all my classmates there, I, like, were classmates since like kindergarten. Right. Know? Right. Great so you're a friar, but yeah, you're, you're friar. But all, there was also enough there to you be know, the for islander. other islanders. Right. And it was only in the second semester of my junior year that I went to JFK. So, you know. Oh, why did you change? Did you uh, move? I was in the seminary. Oh. Father Duenas, and when I okay. got out, um, I just wanted to see if I could see. Uh, one of my friends, in fact, it was Tony Scroll, mm-hmm. that told me if I would transfer to JFK, he'd get me in the stage band. Oh, is that right? Tony was making deals even back then. <laughs> hey, he was our drummer and our lead singer in our little group in the stage. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So, yes. And so that was, you know, how I ended up there. And I have, you know, I still yeah. feel really in my heart for both. And yeah. the good thing is uh, FD, if, if you've been there for a couple of years, you're an official alumni. So, yeah, that's right. Know, I was a 73 grad. Oh, oh my God. It's, it's the most active chat in my WhatsApp chats in my phone. <laughs> That's true. I have, I'm in a I'm in a reunion chat too, and man, were you, were you uh, FD or you no, St. John's? J- JFK. Oh, JFK. Yeah. That's so we're right. Islanders, you and I. Yeah. Okay. Yes, we have. Um, well, I'm kind of like you. So I went all my life up until ninth grade to St. John's. Mm. So I'm sort of a knight because, like you, like you're a friar you know, mm-hmm. all your life, and then, but then there was no high school in St. John's at the time. It ended at. Ninth grade. That's right. They only started later. Yeah. So we had a choice, FD or JFK, because of where I was living, Central, right? So Tamuning, uh, uh, if you were going to go to public school. And if, That's right. And then, or you could go to FD. And I was like, man, FD's only got guys. And I grew up around <laughs> girls. You know? I was like, no, well, I'm going to go to JFK. And nothing to do with study or education. It just have to do with... So that really doesn't surprise me coming from you, class. <laughs> That's okay. You know, it's the way it goes. Um, all right. So, yeah, I see. I see. We learn something new every day, right? I didn't know you were a Dodgers fan. I didn't know you were a Cowboys it's fan. It's funny because even with the basketball, because I was so into it, I mean, yeah. now my students at Mount Carmel, yeah. they're so into sports. But the thing is, because of this information technology, you know, right. they know all about the different uh, stats. Yes. Even of the older players like Kareem and all that. And, yeah. And, you know, I'm saying, wow, that's really cool because like, we can have a conversation other than music and you could ask yeah. me about things and I'll tell you and they're all freaking out. But I so, even went and watched the game. So if you did, I mean, if you could put a dream team, your your most five favorite players in their respective position, right? Point guard, shooting guard, the two forwards and the center. Who would make up your dream team? Wow. You know, some basketball people might say, you know, he doesn't really know much about basketball. Because I was mm-hmm. a Lakers fan, it was mm-hmm. hard for me to yeah. be a Michael Jordan fan. Sure. he was awesome. Of course. He's I remember goat. liking watching basketball and yeah. seeing him play with North Carolina. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was oh, just an undergraduate. Was... And I, this guy would come <clears throat> off the bench, you know. And as dark as he was, <laughs> and his athleticism actually caught my attention. And that yeah. I was already, you know, yeah. eyeing and, and watching sports. I, I think that it helped me not get too just much into just the music. I really feel that in order to... Some escape. Yes, there's yeah. got to be some balance with a lot of things. And I think that helped me a lot, you know. Right. Being able to what I used to love to multitask. 
Because yeah. there was a time when I was writing the music for PD Village album. Mm-hmm. I would come home after a gig and they'd have these games where the Lakers were playing like three in the morning, you know? And I guess it's like early in the afternoon, some places there. So I'd be watching TV, right? Listening, listening in my headsets to play back from what we were recording the night, so I could study. But sitting at the piano, right? Trying yes, to write right. something and just doing all these things all at once. All and while watching the game. Yeah, I used to love to. Do, I mean, I was yeah. always, you know, I always felt like I, I wanted to do a lot of things at once. So. Well, they say that's a genius's mind. It's all over the well, place going around, you know. I, I tried it, but I know people such as yourself and like yeah. maybe Santino Scandalori that are real geniuses in my mind. Yeah, well, you know. Because of how you're interested in all these Never play a card Great game ideas. with that guy. Yeah, that guy is, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Don't ever play cards with that guy. He'll take your money. That and golf. But uh, yeah, so yeah, who would play, uh, who would be on your point guard? Who's the point guard? Okay, so. All time. It, it could be today, yesterday, 100 years ago. Yeah, point guard, man. Just because I became a Warriors fan, yeah. you know, I really like Steph Curry a lot because, yeah. but um, I would pick, I mean, Kobe Bryant would be my shooting guard. Shooting guard, Kobe, yeah. Kobe would be probably and my shooting guard. I would too. pick Steph Curry as my point guard, I think. I think I'm not thinking, remembering all the good players. That's okay. Oh man, Magic Johnson is, mm. how can I get them all in? <laughs> <laughs> can't come off the bench. <laughs> they can come off the bench. Actually, uh, I watched so many games and enjoyed so many Lakers games, and I, I really have to change that. That's yeah. regard to Magic. Okay, yeah. I would agree. Magic Johnson. Yes. I mean, how can you go wrong? Just because when I'm thinking back about, you know, mm-hmm. yes, and he had that kind of mind and, you know, just everything about what he did. I remember watching that game on TV when Kareem was injured. Mm-hmm. And he was, I think he was a rookie, right, Cos? Rookie, correct. When they did, I think it was against Philadelphia. Yeah, he played all five positions. Uh, yes, and he scored like 47 yeah, points. Yeah, and played like, center too. People were like, what the hell? And then he was doing those like hook shots. And, yeah, he was yeah, doing like yeah. mini Kareem shots. That, yeah. that really made me fall in love with Magic's yeah. play, basketball play. People, people have forgotten how good Magic really was. Like, well, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, because it's, it's been so long. But you see some of his old, you know, films from from especially his rookie year and on. Mm-hmm. Man, that guy was—he just reinvented that position of the point oh, yeah, guard. Totally, you know, you know that no no look pass. You and know? he was and he was a big dude, so it was hard for the point guards to you know to um, uh, to look past him. They you know it was hard for them yeah. to because he would take up so much space in their visual that they couldn't pass beyond. Uh, so. And he got he he later got like some uh, flack for his defense as he got older. But you know, I mean, you get you get older, you get slower. That's just the way it goes. But I think with Michael Jordan, he as he got older, he was still athletic, but he he was you know he was smarter. He started doing fadeaways and and post ups, and uh, he didn't have to always try to dunk and and, yeah. and so forth. And then Kobe remember, just took yeah. all of Michael's moves and just elevated it up another notch. I know. I remember when he left the NBA and started, I, I was kind of following him. Right. Kind of rooting for him. Right. Whenever I hear of him playing baseball, I say, man, I hope he hits a home run or something. Mm-hmm. You know, just because mm-hmm. I had become a fan of just watching him. I right. wasn't really a big Bulls fan, but. Yeah, I was. I would say the same. I said, people go, Didn't you, weren't you a fan of the Bulls? I go, no, I was a fan of Michael Jordan. 
I wish you, yeah, I, yeah, I wish you played for the Lakers. I wasn't necessarily fan of the Bulls, right? Um, but yeah, so oh, now who who would your center be? God, see, that's a hard one again. Yeah, it's hard to beat Kareem with those skyhooks, but then I like Shaq a lot too. You know, that and big power guy and just in his prime. Yes. How can you? How can you not those, love that center? Yes, the the ones that he got those yeah. championships he got with Kobe. Yeah, those were so fun to watch, right. and I was a huge Laker fan then. You know, so yeah, and they're like, well, he can't shoot a free throw in, in crunch time. I said, who cares? I mean, you know, you take him out of the game and put someone else during that. Yeah, period. I remember that one game was that against Portland or one of those games where he they kept falling him. Yeah, he kept making his free throw shots. Yeah, because he was. He said, I think after one game, he said, I was so embarrassed that I kept missing that. That's all I did for practice. You know, and he, and he, but you know, I mean, imagine if you're seven foot two, seven two, I think he is, massive hands, and that basketball is like a little ping pong ball, right? And you're trying to, I would have a hard time too. It's like throwing a crumpled up paper, you know, and and trying to shoot it into a glass. That's probably how he sees that, you know what I mean? But yeah, so Shaq Center, I would, I think I would agree with that. Shaq and Center, uh, who would be your Big forward, power forward. Wow, LeBron. LeBron, okay. Good answer. <laughs> he has to be at least one of them. He's got to be in there. Um, and then your small forward. Wow, man. See, I there's just so many good players I've yeah. seen over the years. I mean, how are you gonna match? How are you gonna compare with the, the younger ones now that are so right. good? Yeah, the but matchups. James Worthy, man. I was watching oh, him James. Too, when he was Big in game North James. Carolina. Yeah, big game James. Yeah. I remember they once went to Maui. Mm. I think played because there's always every year these college teams will play at the Maui Classic. Oh, the exhibitions, right? Yeah, and I remember wanting to go there, you know. And now I'm even thinking about when I first saw Hakeem Olajuwon. Mm. He yeah. was still in University of Houston and they played at the Neil Blaisdell Center in Honolulu and I went to see that game. Wow. He was a phenom too. And by watching him, I just had this feeling of go man, when this guy gets into the NBA, he's gonna be something and yeah. it did turn out to be quite special. The dream. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching George Gervin. George Gervin? He had those, I mean, you know, that's how much I thought yeah. basketball was such, it's like looking at sports, but yeah. you look at it in an artistic way. Sure. And these are artists. Right. You know, that's the way I would look at it and say, whoa. Yeah, and I think with Michael, that's, I mean, he, that's why I think he was the greatest individual player. Mm -hmm. He transcended the game to a different level. So despite me, being a Kobe fan, a Laker fan, you know, I would still give Michael Jordan the greatest of all time status as a as a player. But I don't think he was the most skilled player. I think Kobe would be the most skilled player because he could do everything. He could shoot left, right, yeah. post up. You know, he could he could do some crazy ass dunks, uh, especially when he was younger. Um, and then l later in in his years, his range. This is pre Steph Curry. You know, shooting from the logo. Yeah, he, this, I mean, Kobe was he doing that. it out. Yeah, yes. he was doing that, especially uh, in tight games where they needed three pointers from him. And, you know, and this, as a Laker fan, you're pulling your hair. I remember, like, you're like, "Don't shoot it! Oh shit, he shot it!" And then he goes, he makes, it, and you're like, "Oh, thank God, he made it." <laughs> then that Mamba whole Mamba concert yeah. came in. Yeah, and people, yeah. You know, he gave himself oh, a nickname, God. right? <laughs> How do you give yourself a nickname? I guess I gave myself a nickname too, so it's okay. <laughs> but uh, that's a good five, I think. So you, you were. I mad. like Larry Bird a lot too. See, that's hard because Larry played really. You're good talking about uh, yeah. You're giving me the hard <laughs> stuff to think of. You know, <laughs> me kind of like everybody. It's like, uh -huh. like trying to say 
Now, who's your favorite out of all the musicians you work with? You know, yeah, everyone yeah, has yeah. their own. But I think it's chemistry too, right? Because oh, individually, yeah, totally they could be they yes. could be very good players, but maybe the chemistry won't be there. Right. Yeah. So that's something to be. And that's what made me love the Lakers so much. Yeah. Yeah. They they're oh the they championship teams are general, always like had that magic, and then yeah. Uh, I miss Golden State for a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I I love the fact that our current Laker team won the championship, but I feel like this was a manufactured team. You know, like they were like assembled rather than organically grown. You know, and and when you saw Shaq mean, yes. and uh, Kobe, you know, they were rookies, or uh, and, and particularly Kobe was a rookie, and he developed each year. You saw him grow a little bit more, get better, and then he's like, okay, this is the guy that's going to eventually take us to five titles and, and he did and then he had a tragic death this year and oh, that was that was stunning uh, it was really something i saw a meme you know what a meme is right you know, you know those uh, internet things where they have pictures and and words and they make fun of people or you know oh, yeah. they, they call them memes yeah. anyway yeah so anyway uh i saw this thing and goes um because 2020 has been shit right i mean there's no way to say it. It's COVID shit. So someone goes, so Kobe was the glue that kept the world sane, you know? Because <laughs> as soon as he passed away that March, boom, right? Everything just start That's fall right, apart. Right. Everything, everything, everything. I mean, it was just one bad news after another. And I think what the NBA did, probably we could say it was more successful than even what the other sports team are still trying to do now with this mm -hmm. COVID. And Are you talking about the bubble? They have to do, yeah, yeah. I, I think their dedication and their focus on giving it their all because, you know, of something. I think Kobe had something to do with that. Just yeah. like you said, what he, happened to him in the beginning of the year, you know, his spirit kind of. Yeah, and it, to bring it was weird because point, yeah, you know? it, it was weird because he wasn't like he was popular in Los Angeles, of course, you know, hometown. Yeah. And he was popular in the Philippines and China. And he had yeah. he had his fans, but he was. He was definitely not what I would consider a uh, the most beloved player, right? He had his he had his critics, and um, a lot of people thought he was a selfish player, and so forth and so on. But when he passed away, it seemed like the entire world just for you know for that month was bled purple and gold, right? And it was like and it's like even like hardened people were like sad. They didn't even know who he was, but they just felt sad because they. I think what happened, and it happened to me. Um, it's because he died with his daughter doing daddy duties, right? Like he was just wow, being a yeah, father. That's what made it so right. It wasn't like he was right. headed to Las Vegas to play cards, or was womanizing and in the helicopter crashed, or you know was uh, drinking and having a party and killed himself. He was going to her, his daughter's game, right? And. Uh, along with the other family members and and he was just being a dad and i think you you start thinking about that and you're going someone as rich and you know influential as kobe bryant is can be extinguished like that so what about your your own small life you know uh not to say that you know having money is everything but you know you just start to think you're like well, I don't have even one third of what this man has from a financial asset standpoint, but he's extinguished like that. He's gone from the world. What more me? So you started thinking more carefully about your choices oh, yeah. and how it's you a, treat people. Yeah. I think it educated everybody because even the ones that didn't like him, because 
then they could understand how he became so good and why he was so good because he had that kind of like focus, that razor. Right. And that's something that people could learn from. Right. He was dedicated, like, wow, he'd show up at the gym and shoot so many shots. That's what it's, it's you know. Now, now, do you, are you like a Mamba, you know, are you like a Patrick Mamba? Man, sometimes I try to put my focus in something like that, but. Yeah. I mean, you With know, your music? Yeah. I try to always be at that level where it's, that's why when I record, mm. I mean, you know, as much as I feel like there's so many people that I would love to record with and and play with, um, I'm always just trying to find the people that almost we can read each other's minds. Mm. Um, Who, that's the kind of Mamba mentality I like is being able to to anticipate and, right. and you know the way he would. And, yeah, you know I try to to keep that just because I'm innately a very shy person about expressing myself mm. when, I, when I feel like I found that that kind of like level where I could just you know just focus on that and not worry about anything right else than that that's where it's at for me who and, who who in your musicianal you know musician uh, influence who do you play with that you feel like okay they already know me? Is it like Carlos and and Mike be yeah, those, those guys? guys? But even more so are, are these younger kids. Like I would just outright say Shannon and John. Yeah. Um, when we recorded this Kulwamina Holling album, uh -huh. there weren't many takes, even in my no. Inengi album. No. And there was a lot of one takes in some of the songs, and there was this just that certain almost like not planning it so meticulously yeah. right just going there and seeing where the vibe takes us right i like i like taking those kind of kinds of risks and it's not always that way with the way people work on their art you know there's different approaches yeah but that's something i guess i got used to that because when i was doing my first couple of records i mean we had to go do in studio live so <laughs> Yeah, you just have, and that's the one where I'm telling you, like, I trust right. the producer because <clears throat> once they say, "Hey, you know, we gotta move to the next song," that was good. Right. I'm saying to myself, "Man, I sucked when I played that. I could have <laughs> done a better take." Yeah. But then that's when you just have to put your trust mm -hmm. and move ahead. And I've learned to, you know, be accepting of all those things. Right. Now that's you've been producing with Ed Ujoa almost exclusively. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He, yes, he's one guy that has that sensitivity. Yeah, he knows you. He yes. knows you, and he knows what what you like. But he doesn't always go with that. He he knows what works. Yes. Yeah. And I like the when Frank Doherty, the other producer that I worked in the states, I when we had really nice conversations after our recording projects, he'd invite me over to his house. Yeah. And. I don't mind if I say this now; it's legal. But we'd have a joint, and yeah. no one else knew this. And then, <laughs> yeah. of course, he'd be privy to the cuts from the recording, you know, because yeah. he was the producer. And he had stuff. He goes, "Let's listen to some of this." Yeah. And so, you know, that was cool. And then I told him, I said, "Man, you know, you've won a Grammy Award. You work with all these different artists." And he says, "You know what?" He goes, "The main job of a producer, like for myself, he told me he has to be a cheerleader." Yeah, that's right. He said he has to make everyone feel good, yeah. and that's where it's at. And and I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. And maybe that's why you and Shannon and John have become such a a good trio is that you 
you know, you, you make each other feel good with the, what you're doing. You know, you, you look over and she's singing her heart out as she does. And you're like, okay, she's not singing because she needs to get out of here by five. She's singing her heart out and it could take till nine and 10 yeah. and she'll still do it. And uh, I think I think uh, some of that, I think we would term that honesty. You know, people are being honest with you. They're like, yeah, I do this because I yeah. want to be here. There'll be many key moments in the music where we find each other doing the same nuance and yeah. and doing the same rhythmical thing at a certain part that we never rehearsed or even anticipated or even thought of. Right. Those are the magical things that I live for, you know. Right. In right. the musical whether it's in recording or in performing. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, there's a lot of great artists and musicians, you know, but sometimes those things, they can happen if you just learn to. Right. Just try to trust that you'll be able to lock in with everybody, just like team play. Right. If you find that chemistry just right, it just works like magic. So, you know, the gigging is of course how you make a living. COVID has completely destroyed that framework. Oh, that's how, how are you surviving? What's what's what are you and other musicians out there doing to just simply get by? You know, with me, I just really lucked out because last year, yeah, uh, Mike Phillips. I have to bring him up because he, you know, he gave he asked me if I could teach him Mount Carmel music, and he's on the board, right? Yeah. Yep. It's been brought up before, but I was never really, you know, I was always, I always just like gigging and stuff. Right. But for once I said, man, this might be a good thing. And what, what made me think about it is that I knew Dave Duenas was there okay. because to be honest with you, cause because of my lack of education music wise, I mean, I'm playing with cats that have masters, doctorates, degrees mm -hmm. in music. It's just my experience. And uh, I always felt inadequate to go into a teaching situation because a lot of times, you know, you're required to have a degree right. and to know all these things. But me, it's like I'm or, I come from an organic right. way of doing things. Self-taught almost. But because I, I felt, you know, secure that Dave Duane was there and he would help me through the technical stuff, right. I knew that I wouldn't have a problem getting through to the kids because... I always, you know, I always trust and believe in my way to connect with people. Right. And so, you know, um, it's a tradition in my family because both my parents are retired educators. My grandmother, my aunties, you know, they're all teachers. Yeah. Do they teach music? Yes. So that saved me. I'm lucky I'm teaching music, you know, but what right. it does is it made me focus into the kind of music that I was starting to write when I started this whole musical journey, even before the casuals, I was writing children's songs. Oh, okay. But I was just keeping them to myself. Right. Being Mamalo about, hey, you know, this is just kind of corny. I won't bring it up. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, I find a situation where I could teach it. And and, and that's that's what helped me yeah. still um, do music. But the other thing I got really lucky with is um, this group, uh, Mighty Island, the film group. Yeah. They're doing they're a documentary. Doing a documentary. Yeah. They, they got a grant award. and. You know, it helped me to tr kind of try and harness a lot of things within myself about playing, mm -hmm. focus a little more into my solo piano playing and, you know, get into that. So that's some of the things. And then the other thing is just like the other artists are doing. They're probably all writing music and finding ways to express themselves. I think 
in a way, this lockdown wasn't good for the pocket. It was it's really hard to, right. you know, if you depend on your livelihood to make money from playing music. But in the first place, it was never a really viable livelihood here in Guam. Right. Well, I was going to say We always tried that. to get it to that point. Yeah. Um, I always thought that if more people thought like you, Kaz, we mm. could find that way where, you know, it, it could be a viable thing. Mm-hmm. But then I just... It just kind of like, I think the other artists are doing that, but it just made me focus in a little bit of writing. And then a lot of it had to do with, I write how I feel inspired by something. And I don't, I don't sit down and say, I'm going to write a song. Right. It just comes to me at the most craziest times, you know? No, I get it. And so just when the, when the pandemic started, I was out by where I always walk by the beach, you know, I do this whole routine of walking for my health and then I do this stretch yoga routine and then go for a swim and then that whole time there was this I don't know if you can remember earlier in the year there's a couple of days of this magnificent sunset I mean it mm. was yeah it was everyone beautiful everyone was talking about it it was beautiful um, right yes. despite how shitty everything was you're like this is a beautiful sunset yeah, yeah so you know uh, I was just missing everyone at school and all of a sudden I started thinking of this song and it was coming to me with lyrics too oh wow and normally I don't I write lyrics but I don't like to share it you know as much as it's a lot of time when I write it's so personal that right I just want to keep it almost like a diary but right not so much but with this thing, I started writing a song because I missed school. I was writing and I named it a PD sunset just because the way it looked. But then it kind of morphed when I brought it to school, when mm-hmm. we were able to go back to school. And I started to try and teach it to the students. It kind of morphed into um, a Phoenix spirit because, you know, down in Mount Carmel, you know, we, they call Phoenix. Right. You know, it's what your Phoenix stage band. Oh, is that the uh, mascot? Phoenix? That's, uh, yeah. Okay. And the Phoenix stage band, I was tutoring the keyboard players when they were where they were doing really well. And these kids, they have a repertoire of hundreds of songs. Mm-hmm. And by tutoring them, the two keyboard players, mainly Miria Pareto and Kiana Blas, you know, a um, couple of times a week, that made me feel a little bit more comfortable about teaching. And then I would always take this with me and I right. would you know, show them stuff. So, so do you want to play a little bit of that? The, the one you wrote? or can I we... can play the melody a little. It's, yeah, let's hear it. I want to hear it. It's just a very simple melody. Of the, the chord changes, um, they, they change around it, but okay. the melody... Can... Yeah, we'll get, a, we'll get a glimpse of it. It almost has a vibe of Nights in San Jose if people are familiar with my music. So... Okay. This song is uh, I'll just play the melody, okay? Sure. Uh, let me let me get the mic ready here. Go ahead, yeah. It's just a like a very simple melody, but then the changes swirl around the right. melody. And so what accompanies all this stuff? What's the With other it's just piano, you know, for now, right. but then I, I thought of just, you know, different uh, ways of like the way when I like that's a PD sun, 
then the hit with everyone will be on the word set. Okay. This is like one PD sunset. Set comes before the one starts again, but there's a hit in there and this just changing the rhythm around a little bit. It made a difference at the five. So when when is this new album coming up? This one I haven't recorded. Oh, okay. <laughs> or anything. It's just a song that's just a working it's still morphing. It's still, still evolving. Working. But I have a, a version of it with my teacher's assistant, Sophia Israel. Uh-huh. Oh, Sophia. Singing it. Sophia. Yeah, you know her. Yeah. She's she's my tia at Mount Carmel. That's why I'm still teaching. Oh. I would have never could I, I didn't ever know she her. was back. Yeah. Yeah, she has to teach online, so oh. I mean she has to <clears throat> go to school online, so she she asked her Nina Donna Baker. Yeah. If because uh, Donna and I are great friends, if she could call me and ask if I wouldn't mind having her as a teacher's assistant down at Mount Carmel. Gotcha. Sophia and Sagey are classmates, so that's why I know Sophia. Oh, and I gotta let her know then. Yeah, and Donna and Jude are Sagey's godparents. So we have a version of it with her singing it. Oh wow! And then I wrote the bridge in tomorrow, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just. Uh, I want to play the bridge part because it's a whole different, and then that's just the two parts of the song. But okay. Because of well, let's do that, but don't put the uh, don't put it on the table because I'll hear that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll just hold it. Yeah. So this is the bridge. It's very easy. Very simple melody, but there's, you know, the chord changes and, move. And, and that goes with the lyrics you were saying earlier. Yeah, with yeah. this part, it's the tomorrow the section of the song that I wrote, but then I also wrote a, a verse in English to, right. so, to match that tomorrow lyrics. What how does the tomorrow about. go? It's... <clears throat> I'll just say it, I'll just speak yeah. it. Okay, yeah, just speak it. Is, yeah, just speak it. I who hahasu inani song songu, and you know what that means in Chamorro? No. It means right now I'm thinking of the name of my village. Okay. Which is Pidi, and the root word for Pidi in Chamorro is puti, which means hurt. Mm. This is very deep, you know, very, um, there's the lament factor there. Right. means I'm feeling it with inside of me. This pain of missing and not being with who you want to be with. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's basically how the, the word goes. But that's that's just talking about how I was missing life that I was doing before this COVID started. Uh, okay. School, I could picture my students, you know, and yeah. those music classes and how they would be singing. And yeah. we'd be getting that vibe going, you know, so... That's what, it, you know, it went into that. And then it's funny because I, you know, it just kept going on in my head. I couldn't, it, I couldn't leave, it wouldn't leave my mind. It went on right. for days. So I finally made myself sit down and, you know, I actually have a song. So that's, that's one of the things I've been doing to mm. make sure that I'm yeah. still keeping a musical thing going. It's not in a sense performing, but it's right. just hearing these things in my mind, applying it to like what's going on in my life and well maybe you know, it's a little more important than yeah, maybe it's more important than gigging per se, uh, from a artistic standpoint that you get you have time to work on some things. 
Yes, yes. You when you, if you want to put it that way, yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. Because yeah, I you know um, as you're talking about teaching, it, it it sort of made me smile because it was like here's somebody that kind of put it off for so long, even being asked so by so many people. And now you you miss teaching. <laughs> you miss. I mean, I know you're doing it online, but you know what I mean. Like you got the oh, teachers. Oh yeah, bug. The, the connection of energy. You know, I, yeah. I always go for that. I always try and connect with people. That's why I think that you and I can be friends, even if I feel like I, I could be a young father to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always tried to transcend that whenever I get involved with people, whether it be in a band or what. Right. To the point where you don't even have to worry about chronological age or anything you know you just feel the energy and it's something that's that's the same for everyone yeah well you know that's, i've i've got uh two sisters who who are teachers and i've both my brother-in-laws uh their husbands um they are teachers, or they were. One was. Now he's the others. So like teachers surround me, you know, like my. In my <laughs> so I was like, you know, and I always kind of joke with them. I was like, how do you put up with all these shitty kids? You know, uh, you know, kind of this tongue in cheek, but um, but they love it. You know, they love. It's funny, you know. I want to tell you something funny that you mentioned that you know Lawrence Laguardia, right? Yeah. He's just yeah. one of my musical soul. Yeah, mates, Lawrence. You know? Yeah, of course. And he teaches at GW. He teaches. And he goes, Wow, Patrick, you're teaching. Oh no, he goes, I need to teach you how to atan baba these kids. <laughs> and I said, What? And he goes, Yeah, you just have to learn to not even have to say anything and just give them this look. Yeah. And I go, Man, I you know, I can't pull it, Lawrence. I can't because <laughs> I just that's just not in me, and they know it. Yeah. Oh. Kids are so intuitive now. Yeah, they know when you're being Think yeah. about it. But that is so funny, you know, and I go, no, I can't come. And, you know, there were a couple of times, actually, because they didn't have a music teacher at Mount Carmel for elementary school, I mm. think, when they started their year right. last year for a couple of weeks. So here I am, I come in, and then I noticed that everybody was so happy. They started sending me notes. Oh. And I, I, that freaked me out. We're so happy you're here and this and that. And then, then all of a sudden, they want me over, you know, and I said, man, I, I really um, felt the connection, you know, and I felt that it's whatever it is, I always emphasize. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? With Miss Sophie, Sophia teaching there now. Yeah. She can, uh, she, she knows how to present in class through the computer and bring up all this, uh, this theory stuff. And Mike Phillips had a talk of her and told her that that's what he wanted her to concentrate because we're teaching pre K to fifth grade. Right. But then what I do is I talk about the other side, the vibe and sure. just getting the kids to realize that, you know, when you sing, you have to feel it Yeah, you, and all this. So it, it was it was good. And I think I found something here. But going back to it, oh, you know, I still really do miss playing, too. Of course. I actually play for my students when I go in. Sometimes I was, oh, yeah. I'll say, OK, here's a song I want, you know, kids song. Yeah. That song I have called Mango Tango. It's really short, but they really get a kick out of it. <laughs> It's a piano yeah. piece, so you know I yeah. I do that to start yeah. the class, and then oh, I nice. even wrote a music prayer for class. You know. Oh wow! Okay. At first, I wasn't so sure if I could say it in my music classes, but because in Mount Carmel, right, it's very um, you're required to say all your prayers in tomorrow. Oh, I didn't know that. So the good thing is that I already know all my prayers, you know, by heart in tomorrow because when I was a kid, I was following my aunt who was a pizza around, so. Mm. You know, that kind of like helped me, you know, feel a little bit more comfortable and feel that I could be relevant 
over there at Mount Carmel. So you think when when uh, the world comes back to normal, you're going to continue teaching, or you're going to slow down on that? That's like a day job. Yeah, it's a day job. <laughs> but yeah. I'll still make sure that I keep my health together, so I'll have still have the energy, you know. And, yeah. And it's all good because it allowed me to spend more time taking because I I do caregiving at home with my siblings for my mom. Right. Well, let's you talk know, about your mom real quick. Yeah. My mom, she came over to House of Brutus. I know. Her. I remember your mom. In fact, uh, still, I told her I was going to do a podcast. But did, okay. she's she because of her serious set of strokes several years ago. She can't really speak, but her mind is still there. So, yeah. I you know we communicate by her how her eyes light up. When I talk to her. Yeah, I think I met her at the Evolutions uh, release. Yes. Right. I remember because I even seen some pictures from. Yeah. Her. Yeah, I enjoyed that night because we did the uh, album covers and posters. Yeah. I mean, it felt like we were releasing it with you. You know, it was it was kind of a neat, neat, uh, neat day. And that's that's right. I met your mom. How is she doing? Okay, she's okay. You know, my mom. She had this set of strokes in about four or five years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, she survived it. And mm-hmm. she's adapted to how she has to live with it, with just just being bedridden and only take okay. care of her twenty four seven. So she's she's not mobile anymore, huh? Not as mobile, but she always moves what she can to exercise on her own for her mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I oh, just tell her every night when I go in to help my sister change her massage, I say, <laughs> yeah. "Hey, mom." I know I'm being selfish, but man, if we could just shock the world and just stick around, you know, even if you had to turn a hundred, I'd be in here every night with you. We'll do this together. Right. So I really feel that everything I'm doing musically and even teaching, because she's so happy that I'm teaching. Oh, that's good. I she use was it all as a way to harness all that energy right. for her healing. Too. And, and how old is she now? She just turned 93 in August. 93. So okay. Well, I'm sure she'll make it a hundred. I hope so, but yeah. if she doesn't, man, I mean, I, I've been such a, even, you know, even when you see me hanging around playing with younger musicians, but the balance for that is I always have to be around the Manamku at some point. Yeah, know? yeah. No, I remember many times in uh, mm-hmm. at Brutus, you, you would say, well, let me take care of my mom first, and then I'll be at the meeting, or let me do yeah. this. Yeah, no, you're a great son. Just the other day, I told my sister, I go, you know what? If anything happens to mom and, you know, she physically is not going to be here, mm-hmm. I already can see myself what I'm going to do. I'm going to be scrambling around to look for my older relatives, like my mom's generation, right. to try and be there with them for their lives. Because yeah. cause the other things, you probably know this, but when you help make an older person feel good, mm-hmm. there's a blessing that comes with that. Right. And I, you know, I learned that a lot of things that happened to me in my life is just a lot of times because I trust it. And I think I just feel like the part of that blessing is that their energy is being whether they're being guardian angels or what mm-hmm. is there. Right. You know, I, I, I've experienced enough to believe that. Right. Well, you know, I've told uh, there are a few friends that um, that are in your same situation where they're taking care of their elder. Mm-hmm. Um, mother, father, and you know somebody that needs their help, and they gladly give it. You know, it's not they're not getting anything other than the reward of doing it. Um, but I always kind of remind them. I go, hey, you know, you have to also keep in mind what happens when something happens to you. Like you know, you have to have a little, that. You know, we call that in business a um, you know a contingency plan, right? Like, mm. right. Like, yes. okay, so if if something happens to be Pat, 
Palomo, who's going to take, do all the special things that she's used to receiving? You know, is there someone that's going to do that? And, uh, you know, those are some of the difficult things. I, I go, you need to get other people involved. I know this is very personal between you and whomever you're taking care of. But I go, if you don't teach your son or daughter or your sister or brother to, to do these things, you know, and something happens to you, you, you know, you could be a healthy person, but, you know, you can get hit by a bus, right? You, something can happen. So you need to have somebody in, in the wings ready to take take action because you're always thinking to yourself you're going to outlast your patient. But what if you don't? You know, who's going to take care of the patient? So, I mean, I had that thought when um, my dad was going through his, his um, you know, illness. And I told my mom all the time because, you know, my mom was taking care of my dad, almost 24-hour nurse. And I had to stop her and go, Mom, I know you don't want us to yeah. do much, you know, because we've got kids and some of, you know, my, my sisters are married and, you know, they have a family that, you know, they can't stop what they're doing. But you need to also, like, let us help. Let us learn how to take care of him, too, because what if something happens to you? We won't know what to do, you know, because we don't know how many times he should be taking his medicine. We don't know. You know, I mean, all this stuff yes, is is yes. is burned into your head as a memory mom. But well, what what if something happens to you? You know, um, so we you know, it's a kind of a guilt for her. She had to, like, let go a little bit. I said, you're not you're not letting your husband down by letting us oh, do a little bit of work. Yeah. You know, so I totally understand. Yeah. But uh, she, so COVID, she's uh, you. You told me uh, on on the side that she's uh, asymptomatic, so that's great. <laughs> that's one thing she doesn't have to worry about. My, my mom has defied even her doctors, and yeah, I was sort of like not so happy with the neurologist because yeah. they, uh, oh, GRMC kept bragging that they have great neurologists, and when my right. mom got the stroke, right, not they really didn't come to see her. They were just reading what the nurses were writing, and I was saying to myself, I go, man. I really would want to talk to one of these guys and tell them that, that my mom is just not a normal kind of a person. She was mm -hmm. really strong in the power of the mind. Right. And she took care of herself. She was always the example to all her Chamorro brothers and sisters yeah. that all died earlier because right. ridden with all these diabetes and you know heart disease. My mom had been big on apple cider finger <laughs> since oh, yeah. we were younger. We never liked to eat at home because the food was always too bland because she was always <laughs> aware not to oversalt the food or you know. Right, right. So we would always run to some of our relatives' house to eat because the food always tasted better. But just pour some finadeni yeah, on it. Yeah, but then I realized that my mom was already aware of certain things that has to do with health. That if you you know if you yeah. do this, you you'll be able to stick around longer. Right. And you, you kind of like have adopted a lot of that, right? Into your yes, life. Yes, I, I have because I found out that it works. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how do you stay fit? You, you do the beach walks? And yeah, man. I try and go every day if I can. Like I'll go because I live in PD. <clears throat> right. I'll go to like this. There's this stretch of sand near where the old USO used to be. I have to walk around a fence to get over there. Yeah. But the grade of the sand is always changes because the way the tide comes in. Right. So the smooth part is kind of neat to walk on. I always walk barefoot in it, but then the harder part, they kind of, 
it's always a challenge at first, but I got myself used to it where I can just barefoot walk throughout yeah. that whole stretch, even on the rough coral. Feels good, right? It's like a... Yes, it's like getting a sh- uh, foot reflexology <laughs> yeah, massage. Yeah. Ex- exfoliating your skin. Yes. Right? And at the same time, getting the cardio. And yeah. then when the sand is deep, there's a, a harder workout because yeah. you know, walking in deep sand is not that easy. It's- can you swim in that water? On the other side, I do. On the other yes, side, okay. It's I was near where say. the old USO used to be across PD power plant. It's kind yeah. of like uh, right now, it's uh, one of those places designated for, you know. Yeah. Um, people aren't supposed to catch fish there unless they're told to. I remember. I, I think I was there. I used to go there when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Do you remember those rafts that were there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Cause you're not that old, are you? I'm 50. Like, yeah, I'm close enough. You know, we're yes, 12 years you know, apart. I don't know if you remember on the other side, then there was those diving springboards where they yeah. were higher. Yes. And when I tell people that, because they're high saying, how come the, the concrete here looks a little weird? I go, that's where the diving springboard was on top of a long time Yeah, ago. no, I, I mean, you know, I used to go there. Oh, so you would go During the summer. To, oh, neat. Yeah, summer. My dad would drop me there at whatever in the morning and pick me up at three yes, in the they afternoon. Yes, that summer thing there going. Yeah, I had the summer camps there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, my dad always found a way to put me out in the outdoors, which, you know, I didn't always like it at the time. Like, you know, I was like, oh, again, you know, first time <laughs> is okay, you know, but, but like 20 days in a row, you're like, ah, uh, because you're already dark and you're sunburned and you, but... But now that I've grown up and I was like, you know, I'm, I can swim. I'm not afraid of the ocean. Yeah. I know currents. I know tides. I know, you know what I mean? I mean, all that comes from doing that. Yeah. And then look at that concept you came up with, with this uh, this thing that you thought out about having that challenge. Oh, with the Conquer Obstacle Course? Yeah. 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 And it, it, a lot of it, I'm sure, had to do with, you know, your exposure to all the those different, you know, elements. Yeah, it probably does because it's a lot of our, our antics, I want to call them. Uh, you know, revolve around tropical island and water and swimming. So it's 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 kind of gone that way. So you know, I was doing a little prep for the show, um, not to over prep because I know you so well. But I said, you know, what are the some of the things I don't know about Pat? And let me ask him because not just because it's an interview show or something like that. But you can ask me anything. But like, but yeah, okay. There's some things I just don't know, so I want to ask him. So. So uh, two names popped up, and one is your dad, Joaquin Ding Palomo. Yes. See, I in all in all the years I've known you, fifteen years, we've talked almost exclusively about your mother. Yes. Right, because she's here, and she's yes. you know, and that's part of our conversation. But your dad, I've never really heard much about, and my understanding from my research is that he was the your musical influence. He helped you get. Yes. Into into where you are now. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about dad a little bit. You know. Oh well, I would love to. Yeah, it's you been know, a little. My dad, he was also a Chamorro humorist. You know. Oh, was he? You ever read those one Malamanga? Yeah. Card? He, you know, I don't know if I should say this now, but I've had old older educators come up to me, my dad's generation. You're right. A couple of them have passed on, and pulled me to the side, and told me, "You better remember." that there's works that your dad did and because of the way he was he'll never take credit for it but there's he's been a victim of plagiarism oh no basically. and they're telling this to me in tomorrow <laughs> and i don't want to repeat how it was said because this right. is our older you know retired educators very right. smart women tomorrow women that 
were already going like this to me. I said, don't ever forget. And then one of them, and this was, you know, Phil Rungarell. He was the, yeah. the show host in K57. Yeah. His grandmother was a very close friend of my dad. Okay. And it was over at your your place, Red. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were having a Mother's Day um, okay. brunch dinner once. And she pulled me to the side of my break. Yeah. I don't know. And it was there. I'll never forget. Yeah. And she told me how much she, she loved my dad as a friend and that he was so funny. Yeah. That I knew. And then she said, why don't you ask some of these younger, you know, Chamorro um, students or artists that you're working with who might go into the Department of Chamorro Affairs and see if they can research some stuff on your dad. Because right. he wrote, apparently, according to her, and then... Even according to Joe Guam's dad, he told me what his mom told him. See, my dad wrote all those scripts for Juan Malamanga originally because my dad would always be telling jokes. Yeah. And he shared it with Dr. Gould and then she, you know, she used it and then other people were writing it. But the thing is, is that these women talked to me, they were just not happy that my dad was never given credit. Wasn't given the credit. And your dad wasn't the kind of guy that says, hey. Nah. Yeah. Like even this famous song that started flying around and then Jimmy D recorded it. I don't know if you ever heard that song. You probably heard that Ho 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 Sabulatsu. Yeah. It goes, Taza let's see, Taza spam, ay ay ay, man, Yeah. They're using a melody, you know, kind of like one of those melodies from some song before. But my dad wrote that song in Chamorro when he was principal at Wedding Gell to. Um, he just had the secretaries run it and he wanted to just pass it out to the custodians and the right. the school workers because that's how he kept their their spirit up to do the work. He would go out and, you know, start planting trees around the school. And, yeah. In Mark, fact, I was told they were going to name that school after my dad, but, you know, we don't go after that. It's okay. They say it. And, right. But he was out there and he was writing songs and sharing it with the custodians and stuff just to you know lift up their vibe and they can right. go out and work and feel good about what they're doing right he was that kind of a person wow and then i have a song that he wrote called mangisi darling that that's in my album okay so my dad uh, was also uh he also worked at the department of education as um as a what do you call that it starts with a C, I want to say consultant, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, for Chamorro study, uh, bringing Chamorro into the curriculum for Department of Education. Oh, way back when, when they were starting to think about putting it yes. into and, it. Yeah. Uh, he was already uh, kind of, and then that's how I got exposed to Chamorro music on the lighter side, because I already knew a lot of the Chamorro church hymns and the Vina songs, because I was also very close to my mom's sister who was who reared all of us she's in those pictures that you you put together for my Yanengi right album that you know that was your that was your artwork there cause oh. and my Yanengi that booklet that was still beautiful to this day but anyway that's that was my dad and he was very funny yeah. i remember when i would you know going to parties or groceries when i was a kid mm -hmm. And there'd be a whole bunch of ladies standing around my dad, and then they'd be laughing like crazy. And you can see some of them running to the restroom to pee, <laughs> because that's really how funny he was. Yeah, and you know, and people love funny people, right? Yeah, like they just. I just wish I had that that thing about my dad, but his humor was something else. But he also wrote a lot of nice poems, both in English and Chamorro. Yeah. And I'm trying to see if my sister could find some of those because. 
you know when a university or a college of Guam put out this thing where they sent some Chamorro Islanders off island for some educational thing? Hmm. My dad was among some of those first sent to Ohio State University, I would say, in 1955. In fact, my mom was pregnant with me when my dad left. Oh, yeah. And I was born when he was already at Ohio State University. Wow. So the contingent went there and to explain what Chamorro culture yeah, is. And yeah, well, and he was, you know, he made a hit because I see pictures of him playing guitar around some of these, uh, these other classmates, all these Caucasians. You yeah. Know. Well, you know, you have it made when you can play a musical instrument and you can tell good jokes, you know, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? That's my dad. He just, <laughs> yeah. And you know, the other thing, my yeah. dad, he was an avid fisherman. Mm. And I heard stories from people his age that at one time he was one of the best. He'd go dive, free diving, you know. And right. he told me that he was really good until he kind of hurt his ear. Oh, couldn't get the balance but anymore. He, he was, I wish I had learned half the things like that. He would go out and throw net. That area where I go walking at, I yeah. was telling you near USO, my dad would go uh, fishing there every morning too before with this how, fishing net or with a pole. How old and were you when he passed away? My dad died right around Typhoon Paka. Was that 96? Oh, okay. Yeah. And how old was, was he when he passed? Like your age, maybe. Was he, was he that young? Was I? <laughs> yeah, my dad actually, uh, you know, unfortunately, he yeah. had the body. Oh, okay. Otherwise, um, his habits, uh, he, he, he probably would still be around, but a friend of mine told mm. me that his theory was that the Chamorros that have this kind of like muscular disease, right? it's not from the diet, it's not from the fruit bats, it's not from the Frederico palm tree, it's from the lead that was in the water that mm. the United States to this day still don't want to own up to. Right, right. This That's why, you know, cause, you know, sometimes when I see this activism, yeah, I've already heard a lot of stuff and seen the Manamkus, you know, because mm -hmm. when I was a little kid, I wasn't hanging around kids my age. I was always looking for the older kids, the old, my grandparents, brothers and sisters that were still alive. I'd spend my time with them and that's how I learned to speak Chamorro fluently, you know, because we weren't at home already. We weren't taught that because mm. when I was a kid, you know, my generation, the thinking was that you don't, you don't uh, speak Chamorro because it might deter you from being good at your other subjects in school to right. succeed. Well, that's been debunked already. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my youngest daughter is in is in Japanese school. She's she's learning Japanese English awesome. on top of you know everything else. So, yeah, it's you know I, I always say if you're young, give them as much as you can. You know they'll figure it out. It may they may take a while for some people, but. There's such a huge sponge of, you know, that wants the information. But uh, so I think uh, I was reading something about your dad um, playing in jazz supper clubs or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, tell me, take take me back a few years to. There was to a club in Aston called Pagos. Pagos. Okay. Yes. This was right across, right? You know where Johnny Sabon's house is? Yeah. Somewhere right next to it there. There's oh, okay. this little club and. Remember my dad, he'd always get called by some of his friends that were in the military. Right. And so if they'd be, sometimes there'll be a military um, group of musicians that want to play out and they'd have some star player come and be featured. So my dad used to always talk about the sax player. I still remember his name, his name, Bill Monago. Bill Monago. And this is how my dad would describe him. You know, he'd say, oh man, when I played with him, I was so amazed. He doesn't do the way my dad described it, he doesn't do horizontal he doesn't do horizontal solos. He goes 
he does these vertical solos <laughs> that's all over the place and yeah. so he was so good in the way my dad you know he, yeah. he's a storyteller too so you know yeah and then I would never go and watch, but he'd come home. And even I remember my dad would always wake up in the morning before everyone else, and he's already practicing his guitar. Yeah. So, so he was a guitarist. Yes. Okay. In fact, the other guy that that my dad used to play with, his compadre, Forrest mm -hmm. Harris, I think he has come to House of Bruges maybe once or twice. Yes, I remember Forrest. To jam with us. And yeah. do you remember even the late Dr. Paris coming in? Yep, yep. Man, that was a shock when he passed away. I know, man. I was like, dude. One of the nicest guys I've ever met. Yeah. Yeah, he's my cousin, you know. It's just sad, man. Cancer, right? Cancer got him? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, he was one of those guys that, you know, that doctor, yeah. he always wears a bow tie. He yeah, liked yeah, to go yeah. golfing. He was one of those, you know. Yeah. He was a valley Victorian at FD when I was a freshman. He was a senior. Oh, wow. Yeah, he always had the... Very the, smart guy. The nicest demeanor. So so nice and well-rounded yeah and then when when i heard that he was a musician i was like oh shit you know how to play music okay he and i have something in common we uh, yeah. love antonio carlos jobim the guy who wrote all those bossa novas like Rowan. yeah jobim is just right up there him and steve water is my favorite songwriters so so speaking of influences in the music what's uh who's patty lane wow she's patty lane okay she came to Guam, she was a big jazz singer, and it would be safe to say at that time in England, mm -hmm. she was the jazz singer in England, like the way Sarah Vaughan or Ella would be in the United States. Right. She's, um, wow. I hear that she still has stuff with the BBC archives. Is that right? And then she also has the distinction of being the first jazz vocalist to record in East Berlin when it was still wow. across the Iron Curtain, and I heard that recording in the East Berlin Berlin Symphony. So how did you guys hook she, up? She came to Guam with, uh, she married this guy from Agate, Jesse uh, Rivera. Really? This but British kind jazz of like, singer? But she ended up just staying in Agate. They weren't together anymore. Oh, okay. And she used to sing with this, this New Zealand guy. His name was Dennis Manawati Trio. Okay. But then being the jazz singer from England that she was, she just made such a big Big deal, huh? Big deal here in Guam with the other musicians, you know, and started right. singing around. And when I met her, and she has a really strong English accent, you know. Mm. She would always talk to me with that English accent. And in fact, she was the one who started me smoking reefers in our break. <laughs> and this was over at, gosh, Cosmer, I'm really dating myself. This is over at the first join us when they would have it, when they would, they would bring in even great musicians from Japan, jazz trios. Yeah. And I had a gig with her. I, I don't know how long our stint was there, but it was for a few months and it was just her and I. And she would teach me these jazz songs that I didn't even how know were you of. Now? They were beautiful. You I were... was just either still out of, still in high school or just out of high school. Oh, that young. Okay. Yes. Okay, so very and young. Stuff. I met Patty when I was really young and I was so grateful to have had her in my life. She gave me a lot of confidence, you know, and, and it's just the way she sang. She was a pure natural. Mm. And that's why, you know, I her name is mentioned because she really was... She is she was, still here or did she... No, she passed away. She did pass away. In fact, I wish I could find that letter that she wrote a letter to all her closest friends. And I happened to get one of those letters. Oh, wow. And I'll never forget how she ended her letter. She goes, never be too flat, never be too sharp, just be natural. <laughs> that's that good advice. That was the closing remarks in that little letter. Yeah, that's great advice, right? Yes. Great advice. And I loved her to death. Oh my goodness, Patty. 
she, you know why she didn't live that long? She was heavy smoker, cigarette smoker. Oh yeah, she probably, that's how she got her raspy in voice, In fact, right? in her big, you know, her promo picture from England, yeah. if you can find it somewhere, it's smoke in front of her, her was holding a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah, she had that raspiness, but she also had that, that very resonant quality, you know, and, and yeah. You remember uh, Ellen, or Ellen? Ellen. Ella? Ellen. The one that- Eileen. Eileen, sorry, Eileen. Yes! How can I forget her, man? I was at Hassan Brutus when she rocked that place. She rocked it. She did red. Remember we did a big yes. show there? She was those, one of those world-class artists that just came around, you know? Yeah, I talked to her after both shows. I go, you could, I mean, I said, they're both, they're both my places, so which one did you like doing? She goes, I really like the ambiance of Red because they're, you know, the dinner crowd, the yes, whole. Yes, yes. Because, but man, I really liked singing at Brutus. It felt like I was in, I was just with my friends and we were just in this small, intimate place. And uh, so she's my Facebook friend still. So we we go Could back. You just please give her my yeah, I will. Regards. And remember those pictures I took uh, during that? That was nice black and whites. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> So I wonder, is her dad still here? Did she ever I, I mean, he was elderly, know. so I'm not. I don't know, but yeah, that's I met her through you, and um, but yeah, the, the, talking about um, going back to Patty Lane, uh, this British jazz singer somehow meets some kid from Agate. <laughs> that's just that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know where they met, and then yeah. she also had a son that used to play with the bands for the longest time. His name was Aaron Williams. Oh, I know Aaron. Yeah, that was Patty's son. Oh, okay. Oh, you didn't know Patty's that. Son. Yeah, the Did you Bents. know Aaron before you know? No, I just knew. I just met him through the Bents. Yeah. Okay, he was living in Agate. Oh. It's just sad because when Patty passed away, mm -hmm. Aaron just never accepted it. In oh. fact. Um, I was supposed to do an interview with Jane Flores right. about Patty, uh, an intimate, because we were supposed to do an interview already about Patty even before Patty passed away. Mm. Mm. And she was already sickly. But uh, Aaron just never accepted, and the interview was totally stopped because he started calling people and saying, you know, I don't know what's this deal about my mom passing away. She, she shouldn't pass away. So, oh. you know, he was in denial. Right. And I know, man, I even, sometimes I pass that area where their house is and I get, because I used to go visit her. Right, he's not here anymore, is he? Yeah, he was a nice guy, I remember. Yes, quiet guy, and, quiet. Nice, and he was a really good guitar player too. Yeah, yeah, no. And then I freaked out when Patty told, when he finally, you know, one of those young musicians, you know, the parents say, hey, you gotta find something else to do in your life. And then she told me he was studying to be a mortician. Oh shit! Really? <laughs> <laughs> I won't forget that. So, some of the strangest jobs that that ever come. Speaking up. of the bands, man, I still see Peter Lynn. You know that area where we go walking at. He knows my routine because I always bump into him because the polo team, the water polo. Team, oh, they play in the water there now, right? They're over because there's no more pool. No pool, so yeah. they set up their stuff there. Oh, okay, yeah, Peter. So sometimes they'll be there doing their water polo, and I'll be swimming on the other side or walking. Yeah, Pete Lynn was my. Uh, Teacher, right? uh, substitute teacher at St. John's, and then like, <laughs> yeah, and then he he was our science teacher and or no, uh, what was it uh, health teacher in uh, JFK? And I remember like I was junior year, or senior, maybe senior year, or whatever, but I was still underage, like seventeen, and he was playing gigs over at uh, Lights, um, over at Lights. Uh, 
music place, and there was a VIP section. That's where that's that where place. the band was, right? Yes, I remember life so well. Yeah, it was DJs in the front, and then there was in the VIP section. There was the uh, the band, so you had to have a certain way. You you need to have a certain pass or way to yes, get. Yes, I had one of those cards. Yeah, yeah. man, I wish I met you ever since then. <laughs> right. You it were was probably so young. I was young, <laughs> and uh, I wasn't even You're supposed to be in there. Sneaking in, right? Yeah, no, I met. I I became friends with the bouncer, and he let me in. And, Did you know uh, Louis then? Yeah, I, I, well, Louis eventually got to know me. He kept saying, you're here all the time, who are you? I go, oh, I'm Cos. He goes, how old are you? I go, old enough. <laughs> old enough. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then one day I see the bands playing and uh, fuck, I said, oh shit, it's my teacher. And, <laughs> and Pete looks at me straight in the eye. And I, you know, I've got a beer in my hand. And, um, and I kind of looked away like, oh shit. And then he's still singing and he's just staring right at me. <laughs> and I look at him, I go, I just like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to look at him, you know, man up, turn around. I just give him a little salute, military salute. And he just starts laughing. It's funny. You know, I actually jam with Pete because he plays yeah. the harmonica. Yes, he does. Well. Yeah. Um, I do an occasional gig sometimes with the blues band at, at Mariana's Yacht Club. Okay. And I did actually a couple of, uh, with my you know, trade wins group. Yeah. The band there. And then the one time I played with the blues band, I think Pete came up and jammed. And jammed, yeah. Us. Oh, and that was fun. Like, Trey was playing, so was Mike Hartendorf. Or was he? Yeah. Pete's, Pete's kind of lost his voice, though. It's kind of really raspy. Yeah, 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 it's still very, it's always been raspy, right? Yeah, but not that bad. Like, so now he's, he's he told me, he goes, ah, I, my voice is gone. I, I can't do gigs like I used to, like, you know, like 20 gigs a, a month. So, but I I always loved the bands. The bands to me was like my coming of age band. You know, I was getting, I was starting to go out more, and bands was always it. They were there at Lights. They were there at Tahiti Rama. They were there at Barney's Beach House. You know, all the places I would go. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was. You fun. know how I got to see them a lot is when I was already playing a lot of music. There was this young kid, Robin Marquardt, had the most Robin, energy. Yeah. I don't know. He's this guy has more energy than me. And it's like, he always wanted to hang out, was always bugging me about jamming. So you know me, I'm just trying to be nice. So I go, yeah. and he, he just nonstop always wants it. And then he started turning me on into this heavy metal kind of stuff, Slayer. You? <laughs> yeah, I even tried writing some songs in that genre, you know, yeah. just to yeah. to try and just be relevant with what he was like, hey, check this out, check this out. Right. And then he was telling me about, maybe you know this drummer that used to be here in Guam, his name is Dean Castronova, became really yeah. big in the metal scene, especially known for his double bass. Okay. Playing, he can do a, actually like a drum roll with his foot. Oh, wow. But um, what's his name would know? Greg Sablon would know about this. Oh, yeah. Because Greg's Greg. played in a, in a band big time. Right. Greg, no. I forget the name of the band that he was hooked up with in San Francisco. I want to say it was all heavy metal down and long. <laughs> Did you ever see any of those pictures? I've seen some of his pictures. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, dude, you look so much better with no hair. <laughs> you know, like short hair. Yeah. You know, Greg is actually my primo, but I love it because when I see him, he calls me Uncle Pat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Pat. Everybody's Uncle Pat. Because his dad and my mom are cousins from uh, the Sablon side. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's. I don't. I don't think he's gigging any. I mean, he wasn't even gigging before COVID. I don't think. Or maybe he was doing core. Or no, not core. Uh, what's the metal band he does? Uh, 
But yeah, he he, he was, was actually playing even with the Phoenix Stage Band for oh, a short stint. Yeah, well, he's got the American Music Store still, right? Yes. Yeah. So he and and his wife, his wife was a classmate of mine at JFK. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, man, I'm sorry. Our conversation just keeps veering. No, no, that's perfect. Uh, I got one more name for you, and I and I'm not sure if I remember correctly. So it, it, he may mean something. He may not. But Ravi Sankar. You know him? Ravi? Ravi Shankar? Ra- Ravi, sorry. Ravi. He's Nora Jones' dad, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, the reason why I would know of Ravi Shankar is because when I was in this group called Cattail, this is after us casual, this is my most getting stoned days. <laughs> the wild um, days. The drummer at that time was Tom Zapeda. And he would always be talking about things coming out of, you know, he was yeah. into the the Hindu right. religion, uh, the, all those, you know, I never, he would just always talk about it. And then he would talk about Ravi Shankar, the sitar player. Right. And how he influenced the likes of John McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. And then also I know because he's also uh, Nora Jones, biological, biological father, father, right? Then right. the other reason why I heard of, I spoke of Ravi Shankar with this Indian guy by the name of Vitas Nagasetti. Mm from the Bay Area that mm. I, you know, I made all these friends when I was back there and I would, right. there was a band he had called Fatty Boom Boom. Fatty Boom Boom. And I'd be their guest player or something. We play at this place called The Underground in Berkeley. I love that scene, yeah. honestly. You wouldn't even believe this, but Jesse Manabusa, the Christian singer, yeah. came to see one of my shows that one oh, yeah. night there at the, <laughs> at the Underground. So what was the vibe there? Like, describe it. Oh my God, it was crazy. These guys would just play random jam. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, one guy will come out and do this poetry reading. Mm. But the reading is, it's kind of like X-rated. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, it just comes from some intellectual yeah. sex book, but yeah. it'll be part of the performance. Yeah. It's just a free, dynamic free. thing, a yeah. drone going on in the music while he's reading. And it was just pure jam session there. Wow. That was some of what we did. But I also was able to play with some, you know, cats in the Bay Area where we were playing some of my songs, like Samandina. They always, the song that they really liked, there was the, the Prince's Kingdom. Mm. And that's, that's the one we played at House of Brutus quite yep. a lot yep. because people always liked that song. That was a, in fact, uh, I was going to ask you about your albums because... You've got, you said you're working on one. How many you have now? What's what's the head count? This so far, let's see, I had um, PD Village, A Loop and Sunset, Conversations and Monologues, Evolutions, Hinengi mm-hmm. and Kulon in Holland. That's six, six so far as far as, you know, where it's all my music, but I've done a lot of other projects. And Collaborations stuff. and stuff. And they're all on what? They're all on Apple iTunes? I think you could get, yeah, except, you know, which one's not really out there is that Conversations and Monologues because no. um, this, after I was done with Modern Records, this company called Sugo Music picked up the the songs from my PD Village and a Looping Sunset album and then they wanted more. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of like got lost communicating with the guy because he wanted to find where the master tapes for Conversations and Monologues was because they wanted to right. kind of remaster it a little that one I did, that's the only album I did separate from Eddie Joe. It was Frank Doherty's uh, class on recording and engineering at Los Madonna's College. Right. Where Eddie Joe went to school at that. We did it as a school project. Ah. And 
I was still able, and that's the album where I had Dave doing us play a few songs with me. So, but I think if you just Google my stuff, I, it's on some of these platforms. You know what we should do, you and I, and and get Ed involved. Obviously, we should um, do an album called "The Best of Friday Nights" at Brut House of Brutus. We'll have like this little like intro conversation, and then. We'll re we'll revisit every single guest, and then do like one one music, you know, one song or something. Could be kind of cool, cool idea, right? Yes. And it'll all and then it'll involve all the way to the very last um, person, which was I want to say Shannon was the last because she was the last diva. Yes. Right. With uh, Madman and Lady, remember you also had all these creative names for the different entities of groups. As it as it evolved, right? Yeah. Vanessa. I think that's a pretty cool. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, there you you heard it first on Mint Talks, everybody. We're gonna be uh, (laughs) we're gonna be working on that. It's gonna come out twenty twenty two, twenty twenty one, something like that. Because I've been wanting to do a reunion show. Oh man, I'm you know? still kind of looking forward to that. If you could still, yeah, pull I want to pull it I'm off. sure everyone else involved would love to. Yeah, and I'm talking like from Maseha to Miko and Stevie to the late night show to the Mad Men band. Yeah. And what was the other group where Carlos the Guardian's daughter was playing? Oh, uh, man, I there was a jam- three of them, right? Yes, um, I just jammed with her the other night because she's playing with Melody Bell now and my niece, yeah. George James Adam. They invited me to jam with them. Yeah, they were such a cute band. And she was playing bass. Yeah, they were they were like the youngest yes. band that we ever, I think, ever had on the stage there. But they had a good following. They yeah. they filled uh, Wednesday night after Masaya had left. Yes, I remember that. And I can't remember their band name now. I'm looking for myself. Well, I'll figure it out. But yeah, I mean, what we would do is... We'd sit down and we'd list out every single person and band that ever played there, and then we'd invite them in. We'd either do a song with them, uh, maybe just joke around and you know have fun with them or something. But then if we did the live show, when we can do live shows again, let's do big one. Yeah, because did let's you have to be in the club that night when Michael Paulo from Calapana came in? Oh man, I don't know. I think it was I, I was not. I was off island. Yeah, I think so. You were Japan, yeah. but you know, he, he and this other friend of mine, Gaylord Homalia, who's you know yeah. became a keyboard player, and right, we were drunk like crazy. <laughs> when <laughs> they came in, and we were just having a ball, jamming. Man, and Mike Michael Paulo was really a trip too. What, was he holding his own, or was he stumbling? Oh, totally. Was he stumbling it along? No, man, these, that's just how good these guys are. <laughs> and I remember Tino um, inviting some guy that was visiting the island who he had known and played with in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and he happened to be back. And he just kind of blew us. There was just so many awesome nights. I remember this one lady from Japan. I can't remember. I want to say her name was Keiko. Okay. She was one time known as the Karen Carpenter in Japan. But because of her voice. Yeah. Not because she had, but she was became one of my big fans. Every time she came to Guam, you know, yeah. She sometimes she'd be there just with her and somebody. And whenever we play and sing, she'd be up clapping and jacking. <laughs> one break, I went to her. She was already drunk. She goes, she could speak English really because she. I don't understand this. She was crying. Oh, why such a beautiful artist like you? No one's clapping and getting <laughs> to the music like me. 
How yeah. come nobody knows you this that and she just be you know I'm just saying uh, oh that's nice for you to say but you know that's just how it is sometimes. Well yeah let's get into that because I think and maybe we'll wrap up from there because I think it's important uh, and and we shouldn't miss this opportunity to talk about it because um, it's a big deal to me it's a big deal for me I I mean you know part of the reasons why like uh, bar owners or venue owners can't pay the band as much as they'd like is because they can't charge their customer for it. You know what I mean? There has to be some way to Yeah, you know, cause I it. totally understand those right? dynamics. That's why I've been able to just still go along with whatever, you right? know, and hoping that it'll get better. Yeah, because if if you're in Japan, for example, or in, in, in the States, and I don't want to say all parts of the States, but in big cities, mm -hmm. and if you're going to go and see a live entertainment, uh, not only is there... Is it expensive to uh, you know the drinks and stuff are yes. like you know but starting also the cover already. yeah twelve dollar drinks but the cover there's sometimes uh, some some covers are ten twenty thirty dollars in fact I brought a guest from um, Phoenix uh, Arizona mm -hmm. and uh, he was here for business and you know he <laughs> I go well what do you want to do you know there's there's only a few things you can do here you I can take you to strip club. Right, I can take you to strip club. Uh, I can take you to uh, House of Brutus, where it's it was Friday night. I said, and uh, it's uh, we play jazz there. And uh, I said, what else? I, I could take you a movie. Yeah, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do. And he says, ooh, what's uh, what kind of music? I said, well, tonight is jazz night. He goes, well, let's go there. So of course he's my guest. So. He's not thinking too much. He, we go in, we sit down, we listen to you. And uh, who? what iteration was that? Oh, it was uh, Mad Men. So it was Santino, you, uh, Sh not Sh Shannon yet. Uh, she hadn't entered the scene yet. Um, okay. Who was drumming for you at that time? Was it Mark? It could have been Mark. It could have been TJ. I think it was Mark because Mark yes. TJ replaced Mark. That's right. Right. So Also it was, it was Mark then. Yeah, it was Mark and then Jude. Yeah, and then Jude and uh, was oh Mike Mike Mike, yeah. Mike was there. Okay, so so we're drinking, we're talking business. He's enjoying the show. From you know once and then I, I think I excused myself. Were you guys sitting in that upper? Yeah, in the back. Yeah, where you could just you know where I always sit. It's always a great place. Yeah, and I think I excused myself one time because you were coming back on the set, and I usually liked in. Yes, you would come up and introduce us. Introduce you guys uh, at the start of every set if I if I was there, um, and so I went up. I said, "Excuse me, I gotta I gotta do my thing, right?" So, and in fact, I think you were like signaling me, like, "Yeah, come on, <laughs> like <laughs> I see you, you're here." So I would go. I went up. I introduced, and I came back down. We drank a couple more, and you know, he was an older man. He was he was probably like uh, like ten years older than I were, fifteen anyway. So. He was getting that time. It was like twelve o'clock, twelve thirty. He's like, he's like, well, I gotta go. You know, it's past my bedtime. He goes, so thank you for a great time. He goes, this is a great venue you have. You know, it's a great band. He goes, and he saw that the room was packed. It was packed, and he goes, you must make a lot of money on the cover. You, go, what do you, what do you charge? Like seventy five dollars? And I about fell off my fucking chair. <laughs> yeah, because you know, if I had added, if I multiplied seventy five dollars times the the number of people there, easily would have been like two three thousand dollars. Okay, that I would have turned around and gave to you because I would then say, okay, there's your fees, 
right? You take uh, 80% of that and the 20% will go to this, uh, uh, to, to some of the expenses to support this and the wait staff and so forth. And then I would make my money on the product, right? I said, I said uh, we don't have a cover for this. If we do, chances are we'll have five people here, <laughs> right? Which is fine with me, but spiritually, it's not good for the band. The band likes to play to a full house. They don't like to play to Feed off that energy. Yeah, right? And he goes, fuck. He goes, how do you even put, how can you even afford any of this? I go, well, we, we do what we do and the bands have to cooperate too and they do what they have to do. He goes, because if this, if you guys, if this was in Phoenix, Scottsdale, Scottsdale, Arizona, not Phoenix, Scottsdale, he's, uh, he goes, you could charge $75 easily and that would be considered cheap. I go, Whoa. I said, wow, I guess we better move to Scottsdale. Yeah. <laughs> I better tell the band. <laughs> but but why do you, why, I mean, it's not just money because I see people spend money stupidly out here, right? They'll buy another new TV, they'll buy a car that they don't need to buy, they'll buy material things. Why don't, why don't, why do you, why don't you think there is a lot more appreciation to the talent, you know? Um, I mean, they love it, don't get me wrong, but they, they, they don't love it enough to part, part the money with, you know? And, and it's not just the uh, bar owners that, I mean, for for my my perspective, the bar owners can do only so much, right? They got a lot of expense. People show up or don't show up, they got to pay. But customers, they they just don't want to pay that cover. For them, it's sort of like sacrilegious. Probably it's just something that everyone just got so used to here in Guam and just took right. all these things for granted. Yeah. Like when the casuals were playing in its heydays here. Yes. And you guys were packing it up. Was there a cover back then? Well, not before we left. No. It was only until we became even bigger where we did that big record in Hawaii and then we would come back and then there'd be a venue and then- Then they could do it, right? Cover, and yeah, I just, I feel that that's true. Like if you make it out place. of Guam, like if you make a name for yourself out of Guam, yes. then they're willing to pay 20, 30, $40 to see you. But if you're still a local band, quote unquote, yes. they're like, eh, why do I want to pay that money? You know, I, I don't understand. I know we're right here in Guam, right? Cause and a lot of times things that are yelled across at board meetings would come to me. Yeah. Especially when it had to do with me. Mm. And so I've heard of some of the arguments about the pros and cons of, you know, the right. local artists and stuff. And sometimes it could be hurtful, but then a lot of times I just say that, you know, it's easy to forgive people when they don't really understand. Right. And, uh, you and know, some people don't really understand. They don't have that extra thing to perceive that the way you do. Right. Well, I, I get it. I mean, some, I, some, the biggest critics about it is saying, okay, well, they're, they're not very professional. They don't show up on time. They're not ready. They're not prepared. And, um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I can understand where that comes from. Yes. Right. I know exactly what you mean with that too. And I go, my argument to that is, but would they be more prepared if there was you know, a healthy compensation with it, you know, it, you get what you give and you give what you get. And so both sides have to understand that, you know, so you're like, okay, I'm, even if you're getting a hundred dollars, that's a gig. And as a professional, you show up and you, and you show up on time and you play your heart out, you sing your heart out. It doesn't matter what you're getting paid because that's the audience doesn't look at it going, oh, he's only singing half good today or, you know, he's only playing half well and energetic because he's only making a hundred bucks. 
they look at you and say, oh, that guy isn't very good. That guy doesn't sound very good. That's the only thing that the customer understands, right? From the uh, bar owner's side, they might look at that and go, well, that's why I don't pay you a lot because you, you're shit out there. And then, the, of course, the artist says, well, I would sing better or play better mm. or, you know, have more heart in it if, if, if I would, if their compensation was worth it, you know? And so you have this sort of like never ending cycle of bad ideas that circulates. Somebody has to like disrupt that and the bad, you know, the, the bar owner have to come and say, look, I'm going to pay you as much as I can, but don't worry about your gig. You'll have it for as long as we're in business. Just please let's help build an audience, right? That's what I try to do. Cause I knew I couldn't pay you guys um, thousands of dollars every day, every, you know, every performance. I just couldn't do it. Um, I go out of business and so where will we be? But I could promise you 11 straight years of a place to play, right? Yeah, you know, Cosmo, I'll tell you right now, man, I, I'm forever grateful for that. I never looked at any of this, you know, in terms of the success of it being in money. Yeah. It wasn't something else. It was developed. It was helping this involvement of five. Yeah. And um, it's funny because sometimes it's not easy even for someone like my name. People think, you know what it is? It's for some reason I've been associated all but we don't want to ask Patrick Palomo to play because he's too expensive. <laughs> really? I get that all the time too. Even just, I just heard it again recently. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I said, know. You know, I, I can understand people thinking that way, but then yeah. in a way it's that's not really, the, that's just kind of a cop out. Yeah, that's the, well, that's the, that's the quality you bring in, whether you're getting paid, you know, a thousand dollars or you're getting paid $10. But it's all good. I always try and look at the positive side of everything, yeah. you know, so. Well, you know what? I want to... Brutus, man. I can mean, all these things are swirling. Even I just want to make sure I mention one name because sure. honestly, when I first moved to Brutus, this is one of the things you knew how to pick people for their positions, their cause. Yeah. Do you remember Francis Calvo being your bartender? Yeah, Francis, yeah. He's one of the coolest guys. Yeah. One of my students, in fact, in fourth grade, we might ask me if I know him just the other day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, of course I know Francis. I mean, I, I was always enamored by this guy since he was at Brutus being behind the bar and just his personality. Yeah. It was just the kind of person I know that a cause endo would pick yeah. to be, you know, there to have that kind of vibe. Well, you know, Francis is great. Uh, John Solivar was great. Yes, yes. Sam Ars, he was great. Uh, you know, all these people. I have to credit Ruben Mortera. I mean, he... he worked. You know, that guy actually was the one that I always uh, <laughs> end up coming to me and then yeah. I could see right through him. Yeah. He could be a... Yeah, yeah. But, um, behind that is that heart that you yeah. cannot hide to some people yeah that's right and i can see that yeah he's like he's like damn it and he's like, whatever come on man yeah no he's a big soft yeah guy. yeah deep down inside he's a big big softy <laughs> but yeah he uh he would always sort of filter out the people and of course he would say well i you know come and see him or come and meet her right i i wouldn't get to the point of micromanaging it but you're right I, you know i still care of who works for us so i if if it's their first day i would come down and i would i don't want to say i picked on them but i focused on them right and i can tell if they're nervous or if i can tell if they're confident or they're going to be great at what they do i remember one girl 
And uh, she was so nervous around me, and I thought it was just around me, but she was nervous around everybody. And so I finally put her aside and said, you know, you're smart, you do everything you're asked, but you're so nervous you, to the point where you can't even speak to the customer without stuttering or, you know, and when you're uncomfortable, they feel uncomfortable. And then it's just, the magic is gone, you know, this whole magic is gone. And she goes, I don't know what it is, you know. I, she goes, I, I don't know why I'm so uncomfortable around people. I said, well, uh, you're in a job that involves talking to people. <laughs> you know, you're, you're a server. And uh, you're going to have to ask them and you're going to have to be conversational uh, and, and understand that every customer is different. And that awkwardness is going to come off as rudeness. And people are going to think you're rude when, in fact, you're just shy. Right. So how do you break that? I said, I want you I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to the restroom now. Go look at the mirror. And I want you to think of the your your favorite actress, whoever it is. Maybe it's Angelina Jolie, maybe it's uh I don't know, Jennifer Aniston, somebody, whoever. And I want you to personify yourself in their character, right? You're no longer who you are, you're them. Can you do that? And she goes, okay, I'll try. So she came, She comes out and she's like <laughs> very sultry, right? Like, <laughs> like to the point where like, to, like it's making me feel uncomfortable. Like, like okay, um, let's not be too sexy though, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's too cute. <laughs> and uh, so I said, let's pick a, like a different actress. And so she became, and then she was there and she was com comfortable and she did well. And she worked for us for, uh, I want to say at least two, three years. Eventually became a shift manager. Can you believe that? Wow. And, See? and he even took the, the band nights, being a bartender, manager, cashier. Some nights we, we were short staffed. And uh, yeah, she did great. And then, she, of course, she got married and, you know, went on to the next phase and, um, you know, I got, and she doesn't no longer live here. She she sent me a message a couple uh, a couple of years ago on Thanksgiving, and she said, she goes, hi, long time no talk to you. I said, uh, and she just said, left a message. She goes, I just want you to know that I still remember that day you took me aside and helped me through my shyness. And she goes, and I do that all the time now. And uh, my children, my daughter is shy. And I, I have given her the same speech you gave me. <laughs> God, look at yeah. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm so not surprised you something like that. Yeah, and I mean, from you, you always have that. Yeah, you, you know. And you know, it's it's like that. It's it warms your heart. You know, it, when you're doing it, you're just doing it because it's practical, right? You're not even thinking about ten years from now. You're just doing it because that makes sense. But when they remember, it, that's really special. You know, they come ooh, back ooh. to you, and they and I yes. and I think that's. With you, Pat, I think the because you've been in so as a musician, I think musicians they just they don't get enough credit. But um, you know, you're you're part of these special nights for a lot of people, and I you know, and this is something that we talked about a lot at Brutus because um, that was really a music destination. I go remember you know I would talk to the staff. I go, you might be having a divorce, you might be having problems with your kids, maybe money problems, maybe health problems. I said, but understand customers are, are also maybe having that, but they've come here to escape that. So 
make sure that we always give them an escape, you know. And, um, and I think the music was part of that, and you guys playing so great um, and performing. That's that's all the memories that they they hold on to. And I still get people to this day walk over and go, man, I really like that place. You know, you guys really nice. had a great great vibe there. And I go, well, the staff was great. The musicians were great. That was your creation, of course. Yeah, but I only came down, you know, once a, once a evening. You guys did all the work. You know, I I always credit the staff and you guys. Yes. I said, uh, I said I do get and credit for building it. For <laughs> yeah, I set it up, but you guys did the work, and so it was uh, it was a nice feeling that uh, all of that sort of um, is still recognized, right? And uh, and so I'll, I'll end on this note, Pat. Since uh, we've been to, uh, on this podcast for quite a long time now, I didn't even I'm not even looking at the time. Right? Yeah. Well, I just want to make we sure. Should, you know what? We could sit here and talk for still a lot more. Right? Things. And then, and we're we're not even drinking a lot. <laughs> I'm not even smoking. You're not even smoking yet. Yeah. Enjoying the natural vibe. Actually, I have been taking a sip. Yeah, that's it's good for your throat. Enjoying it. Yeah. Um, there was this. Uh, what I love about you, Pat, is you. Uh, you're you're such a loyal thoughtful friend, you know, and, and I don't mean loyal in that, um, like, uh, like a dog is loyal or, you know, uh, it's, it's not a control loyal. It's more like you're a loving person. And uh, I remember one time we hadn't done business together, I want to say five, six years, but we kept in touch and so forth. And I would try to give you a gig anytime I could with my other businesses. Palau, please, another Palau <laughs> cause. <laughs> and I remember calling you, I go, hey, uh, I got a crazy idea. Can you come to Pacific Star and play Yellow? Oh yeah, I remember it. Oh, you made somebody so happy because of that. Yeah, right. And uh, that was a kind of a cool thing we did. Yeah, because that's you. <laughs> You know, your cre creativity, you know, is something that I try to draw from. Yeah. And make it come out in the notes that I would play. This is how I operate. That's why I feel like as long as I still have my hands and I could still mm -hmm. play, I I like to draw from people. That's, right. you know, and I just have to let you know now, cause that you, you have a lot to do with how I've matured to as an artist. Really? I mean, I... I'm a real late bloomer kind of a person. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking I had what I did said did six records. Yeah. I know some Chamorro artists that have done maybe close to fifty or more. <laughs> Frank Bokuma, one of them. Yeah. I loved him dearly. It's a lot of albums. Yeah. yeah. But never mind. I'm just sidetracking too much, maybe yeah. because I just have two sips of this. <laughs> no, but because I mean, with everything that yeah. I do musically at Brutus, or whether you take your idea and concept with us All right. to Palau. Oh, the Palau trip is Yeah. There's always a, a very strong point that I go to right. within myself and music, and it's trying to bring out what the situation that you helped us into or made for us to be in to get the best out of it. And for me, for myself as an artist, the way I operate is I have to keep you relevant within my vibe. Right. I don't know if I'm I'm sounding weird about this, but that's just how it is. No. Yeah. You know what's what the original concept for that Palau, and it, we just the only reason we didn't end up doing that is the weather turned on us. Yes. We literally had a typhoon. Like a, remember, it was yeah, rainy and stormy. Right. And um, but the original idea was we were going to have a floating stage in the cove, in the bay. The, yes, I remember that and right? something came up. And yes. we were gonna have all the yachts and the boat, because Palazzo boat community. 
And instead of chairs and seats in a bar, people were going to sit in their boats. Wow. Right? And then, and then the tourists would be in their hotels listening. But in that lagoon, you know, the music carries, right? And that was the concept. And then, of course, that got screwed up because of the weather, and we ended up doing Plan B. But I, I had a great time. I just couldn't stay very long, but I had a good time. You know, it, it always means a lot to me to revisit Palau because when I went there with the casuals the first time in the mid-80s, yeah. I got into this creative thing that I couldn't sleep most nights I was there. I don't know if it's their weed or what. <laughs> but after everyone already went to bed, I, I'd always make sure I have access to where our equipment is, our band right. is set up. And I actually wrote my the title track of my PD Village album there in Palau. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we gotta have another show about the Casuals because I'm really curious about that era. You know, oh my goodness. the only reason we didn't get into that today because I think that's a whole. Oh yes, it's a it's a whole show in and of itself. You know what I mean? The Casuals oh, period, and um, so we'll call this part one. Okay, cause but man, two. thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. No, yeah, uh, you know, we're just it's uh, an honor for me to be here. You're an artist in the yeah. way you see concepts yeah. and have a vision. Right. I think of you as that. Yeah. So. And thank whenever you. Um, you come up with this thing, you know, I, I say, wow, this guy is really, a, you know, you're always a step ahead too, I think. <laughs> I think a lot of, you know, remember when they had that Imagine Guam? Yeah. The best part of that was, for me, was when you talked to everyone about playgrounds. I was told, I actually made some, now I'm going to be lifelong friends from that. Oh, good. And these are like a couple of generations below <laughs> me, but because yeah. we had a little group yeah. thing. Yeah, it was good. Well, cheers, brother. And uh, happy belated birthday. And uh, we'll see you very soon. Yes, and happy birthday again to you, cause mm. I've been blessed because actually the way we're doing like this, there's yeah. another very close friend of mine that I happened to just get a hold of him that day. I didn't know it was his birthday, the same as my dad's, yeah. November 30th. And I had some wine with him. Oh, good. And so Good, good for you. Yeah. Him. Well, yeah, we're celebrating our 15th anniversary. You and I, we know each awesome. other 15 years now. All right, Pat, thanks for coming. We'll see you again. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, we're going to have Pat back again to talk about the days of the casuals which uh, is sort of become myth and legend. And uh, hopefully we'll get uh, my last diva at House Brutus turned advocate, advocate and activist, uh, Shannon McManus and her, her very patient husband, John. Uh, I love those guys so much. I need to tease them a little bit. And, uh, but at the same time, I know they have very serious um, agendas and uh, I think it'd be nice for them to talk about it. Um, out in the open. So we'll talk to you guys again. Pat, have a good one. Thank you, Klaus. This has been a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, too. Esta. All right. All right.